Hello there, welcome back to The Random Show, episode 100. Finally at the 100 mark, welcome back to The Random Show, episode number 100. One zero zero zero. Big up everybody that's hanging in, that's tuning in right now. We are 100, episode 100. Crazy, isn't it? How quickly this has happened. It feels like just yesterday. I started doing any streams. I think I first started calling them open tabs, but then I realized Burt Kreischer had a show called Open Tabs. Then I changed it to Random Show. Then I realized I think someone else had the name Random Show, but then I couldn't bother to change it again. So I just stuck with that since then. But it's been, it has been already 100 shows. 100. Quite crazy how quickly we've reached it. But I'm happy that you guys have been here tuning in with me and hanging out. It's been an absolute blast. I've really, really enjoyed it, especially considering that I've got my main sort of podcast that I do called The Action of Zynga Show, where I mainly talk about cultural commentary stuff, loads of fashion, art design, all that good stuff. But there's also these other bits and bobs I like talking about when it concerns these flipping LA stand-up comics and you know just general news overall that I sometimes don't feel like fits in my main podcast so it's good to have this other bit this other show this other place that I can come and speak to that speak about that sort of stuff and you guys can tune in and enjoy it's always been a pleasure never ever a chore so really really happy about that and i kind of have to give myself a pat on the back and appreciate you guys for joining in because without the viewers who would i be who would i be so today we have a very jam-packed show to get into today as most of you are aware judging by the cover image of this show if you're just tuning in if you come back after the fact we're going to be talking about for the main chunk of the show brenda shaw's appearance on my first million a podcast that weirdly enough I was actually a fan of for the longest time and I had no idea the guys on that show were big Brendan Short fans allegedly that's what they said they are but he went on there to talk business talk his career talk all that good stuff and it was full of so many entertaining bits that I just had to jump on stream and you know kind of speak about it with you guys and dissect it and laugh at it as much as possible because some of the stuff this guy was spewing out on there was legitimately redacted but of course we've got some other bits and pieces too that we need to go and run through so regular random show kind of business I've got a bunch of topics I want to speak about I'm going to rattle through them and of course you guys can engage with me via the chat and of course, if it's your first time tuning in and you want to support the show and you want to help a boy out, what's the best thing you can do? Smashing the like button. That's it. That's the only thing I ask for. Smash the like button. Show me that you're engaging. Show me that you like what you see. Let Make sure other people, when they're tuning in, they see that I'm a big wig and I'm someone to be taken seriously because they're like, oh my God, look, he's got amazing amount of likes. That means people are engaging, right? If you do that for me, I'll be really, really, really happy. Apart from that, I'm just happy you're here, happy you're queer, and we're going to go straight in straight in with the topics no delay no delay so number one topic i wanted to talk about just to kind of get out of the way and i don't usually talk about sports but i just wanted to kind of mention it because i feel like it doesn't get the attention that it deserves and it kind of relates to another topic i want to speak about so united today blew a 2-0 lead at home in the europa league against seville our arch nemesis and just a very legendary kind of you know strong european side hailing from spain we lost that two lead, two goal lead, 
primarily because both of our centre-backs pulled up injured. One of our centre-backs had to go off at half-time and another centre-back um, had to come off because they essentially may have ruptured their Achilles. So crazy luck, you know, bad luck in that, res- in that respect. But as soon as, as soon as, as soon as, as soon as flipping what's-his-face, Harry Maguire came off from the bench, right? As soon as that guy came off from the bench and replaced one of our centre-backs and played in flipping, you know, in defence, the whole team started acting shaky. The whole entire team started acting shaky. And a part of me thinks, why, don't, why, the, why doesn't that get spoken about more often? Why is it in sports, especially in the UK, if you happen to be English, people go out of their way to kind of protect you. There's always, there's always this kind of propaganda being spun, narratives being run, just to kind of avoid saying what we all know, that you're absolutely crap. But if it's a foreign player and they're playing terrible and they cost a lot of money and they're on big wages, automatically the wages conversation starts coming up. Are they worth their money? Are they wasting the club's money? Blah, blah, blah. They could have signed this. They could have signed him. They could have signed him. But when it's English players, there's always some kind of propaganda happening. And I felt like in the last week or so, there's been loads of weird Harry Maguire press, like positive press, spin. They've been trying to push out there. Oh, he's doing well. He's flipping, adjusting to what Eric Ten Hag wants from him. He's there and ready and available if, if he needs to be given a shot. All this nonsense spin. But at the end of the day, the guy is terrible at football. When he got given an opportunity to come and replace one of our starting centre-backs, he came onto that field and in one way or the other contributed to us conceding two goals. I hate Harry Maguire with all my heart. I hate everything he represents. Not him as a person, more so what he represents. That English protection squad thing, the fact that we signed him for 80 million from Leicester, the fact that we gave him the captain's armband, and the fact that most likely he's never ever going to get sold anytime soon because he's fucking English. I fucking hate it. It's so annoying. And it's, I wouldn't even call it casual racism. It's like dog whistle racism in a way. It's a strange dog whistly type of racism where they kind of only, you know, adjust their behavior or how they react or how they act to some of these players based on the color of their skin. And it's so lame. It really is lame. I wish the world wasn't like that, but unfortunately it is. Which brings me onto this topic, which kind of spun me a bit, but also kind of made me laugh because this is something that I've definitely had to face in my own career. Let me just wait for, actually, for some reason the chat box isn't loading up. Bear me one second. Why is this? Why does my chat box keep doing this? Every time I'm flipping, starting a stream, it keeps giving me trouble. Why is this happening? Let me just quickly load this up again one more time before we get going. So that's 800 and it's a further 800,000. Okay, cool. Let me see if maybe I can delete it and install it again one more time. Bear with me one second here. As I get the chat box loaded. Where is it? Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Yeah, there we go. Let me just get this running go away straight away. It was working just before I launched this, so I'm not too sure what was happening beforehand. But hey, we shall make it work. We shall make it work and we shall overcome. That's the main thing, actually. Let's get rid of that one as well. There's another chat box here. Let's get rid of that. Boom. And let's go back. Oh, see, it's loading now. Now it's loading. See? Oh, no, it's not. It wasn't loading. It was a screen. So it's there. Let's copy it. 
copied and let's put it in here hopefully this works hopefully this works oh no so it's chat box okay let's put the url in there and let's say does that 800 by 1000 i said in it i think there we go boom okay allegedly this should be working now let's hope this is the thing hopefully the chat box loads up in here in a minute thank god please come on don't do me like this mate come on 100 episodes i can't be not having a chat box working don't do me like this come on chat box hopefully it works anyway fingers crossed it works i really am hoping fingers crossed this does work if not i'm gonna be absolute peeve but hey let's hope let's hope and pray anyway moving on from hope and pray this is a topic I want to speak about, right? Relating back to the Harry Maguire issue and why, you know, life is life can be annoying at times. So this is a headline shared by Shadeborough and it says, man shares how he was um, refused a job at Ritz due to his Afro. And let me play you the clip. It was the language that was used. Um, the language could have been non-discriminatory. They could have said length of hair, and I would have been quite okay with that and quite satisfied. Said what hair? The length of the hair. Length they of hair, right? Swift length of hair. But the trouble is, I think to myself, I've got daughters, mm. and now that they've got to be approached with jobs that discriminate against them before they're able to even get into these roles. So what did you do? What I decided to do was I uh, sent an email to my MP. Uh, I sent an email to the Metro as well. Um, did you get in touch with the Ritz, though? Of course, of yes. course. I so spoke tell us a bit about well. what happened with the Ritz. So the Ritz gave me a call back. Uh, I believe that someone from their PR team decided to call me instead of the person that offered me the job. Uh, she made me aware that their black hairstylist had looked at these uh, documents before and had approved them. And I was quite upset that they decided to use this sort of token um, as a way of deciding that these rules would be okay. My biggest concern was that this was done in 2021, mm -hmm. and I feel like the language used was something out of the 70s, something that my grandparents mm. perhaps had to face when they... Anyway, long story short, this guy gets refused a job at a fucking hotel because they say his hair is too picky, essentially. They say his hair is too unprofessional, too unkept for him to be able to work in a hotel. Absolutely wild. But what it does kind of prove is something that a lot of people, myself included, have basically known deep down, is that most likely than not, to give yourself the best opportunity to get any type of job, especially in the UK, because of the casual dog whistly racism that we have going on here, you always have to kind of acquiesce and get yourself a trim. Get yourself a haircut, wear particular clothes, maybe change the way change the way you speak. If you speak in some sort of slang, maybe switch that up and kind of proper up and posh up your accent. And then you give yourself the best chance to be able to get those kind of jobs, which is silly because once you do get the jobs, most likely there's people who pretended to be a certain way, then go back to how they actually are day to day. So it kind of defeats the purpose, but it's this weird kind of silent game. Any kind of black and brown person that lives in the UK knows. And what I was thinking about this in general was, this is why sometimes I think to myself, there are there are there are occasions not all the time because i think you know i think america is still scary because you guys have guns and legitimately if i get into a fight with somebody and i'm beating them up like i've seen videos of it before like if i say i've seen videos of guys you know having a fight in a parking lot one guy is starting to lose and you have and the losing guy just pulls out his gun and shoots the other person 
that is a nightmare for me. If I'm if I'm having a fight with you and we're fighting, you know, fist to fist, man to man, and I'm getting a better of you, why should you have the right to just kill me because you think you're losing? It's absolutely crazy. So that part of America, I'm not really that fond of. But the some the the other thing that I kind of like in a weird way is how sometimes upfront and kind of in your face the racism is over there. It's not kind of done in a dog whistly way. It's not done on a sly. When someone doesn't like you for based on the color of your skin or maybe your religion or maybe your sexual orientation, it's usually quite clear. They usually make it very, very clear over there in the States. Whereas I feel like in the UK, we have this kind of quiet, fake multiculturalism thing going on where if you're a particular skin color and you try and go and party in certain parts of central London, certain clubs won't let you come in just based on the color of your skin then you'll stand in the queue like an absolute idiot and see other people groups of them walk in ahead of you because they look um the way that the club actually wants their patrons to look which basically tells you hey they don't want to see a whole group of black dudes they want to see a whole group of white dudes or a whole group of dudes who are mixed and a couple of whites couple of indians couple of blacks it's so so stupid but i think that's the kind of thing that i weirdly enough would appreciate i kind of weirdly appreciate that kind of upfrontness of it instead of the kind of oh let's pretend that we're a multicultural society but then you go to the ritz and you put an application in to be a what a receptionist a bellboy a cleaner and they're telling you oh no you can't work for this company because you haven't decided to fade the size of your hair because this kid here in this flipping post he doesn't even look like he's got that bad of a trim his hair looks way better than how mine looks day to day Right? And what's he missing? A fade on the sides of his hair? Maybe he's shaping up his beard? That's it. He's hardly got a beard. The beard's not even growing that well. Or not even growing that much, actually, to the side of his face. So how does he look that unkept that he can't work at a fucking hotel? It's absolutely crazy. And who knows? Maybe he's the kind of guy who legitimately needed a job to kind of get the haircut in the first place. Maybe he can't afford a haircut, which is why he's deciding to flip in, apply for the Ritz in the first place. So it just kind of defeats the whole purpose. I absolutely hate it. I hate all of it. It makes it horrible. And um, yeah, man, um, wishing the guy the best, but I've definitely had to face a similar sort of thing um, in this country. And unfortunately, it's kind of a quiet thing that we all kind of know happens. Like, you know, if you want to get a job in certain sectors, you kind of have to acquiesce and kind of act and walk a certain way. If not, then you're going to be flipping messed over. If not, you're going to be messed over. Moving on from that, we've got this topic to talk about here. It's regarding um, the cash app founder who unfortunately um had been murdered a couple of days ago um luckily an arrest has been made but the really scary and weird thing about it is that it's allegedly they're saying the arrest was of a fellow tech executive so it wasn't even some lone vigilante no so some lone kind of you know homeless person or something like other people were kind of putting out there because i think san fran has got one of those issues or somebody with mental illness mental health issues or something or whatever it may be or a vagrant no it was actually allegedly um according to what we have here a fellow tech worker so it's an article courtesy from <clears throat> mission local it says mission local is informed that san francisco the police department um early this morning made an arrest in april 4th killing of the tech executive bob lee following an operation undertaken outside of its city borders the alleged killer also works in tech and is a man lee purportedly knew crazy we're told the police today that we're dispatched to emilyville with a warrant to arrest a man named nima Mom momeni 
the name and Emro's address <clears throat> travel to correspond with this man and the owner of the company called Xband IT. So this makes a lot of sense because I think at the time there was a lot of people saying online that they were going to find this guy quite easily because wherever Bob Lee was, there was lots of cameras around there. I think he eventually ended up kind of collapsing in front of a bank or something like that. And he picked him up on CCTV of inside a bank, like kind of pointing to the outside of the flipping uh, building itself. So I remember a lot of people online, especially on Twitter, saying, no, this guy is definitely going to be found um, because that area has kind of, you know, got CCTV covered all over the place. So I guess it's somewhat of a good thing. But again, it's just alleged. We don't know if this person actually did it, but this is alleged. It says multiple police sources have described the pre-dawn knifing last week, which left a 43-year-old lead dead in a deserted section of downtown San Francisco as neither a robbery attempt or a random attack. Rather, Lee and Momeni were portrayed by police as being familiar with one another. In the wee hours of April 4th, they were reportedly driving together through downtown San Francisco in a car Richard's suspect. Wow. Some manner of confrontation allegedly commenced with both men were in the vehicle and potentially continued after Lee exited the car. Police allege that Momeni stabbed Lee multiple times with a knife that was recovered not far from the spot, 300 blocks of Main Street, to which police officers initially responded. The scenario would would this scenario would explain in part why Lee was walking through a portion of Main Street in which there was little to no foot traffic at two thirty a.m. There was um, that was one of the several incongruence of the circumstances surrounding Lee's violent death, which law enforcement um, from the get go felt made it far more straightforward than a random crime. Nevertheless, some of Lee's fellow tech luminaries and a chorus of other influential voices portrayed this killing as part of a parcel, uh, part and parcel of a city awash with violent crime and on descent into further chaos. While Lee is one of the dozen few homicides in San Francisco this year, he is the only killing that has garnered national coverage, or in most cases, even curiosity in the local coverage. That's the real sad part about it, isn't it? People are dying every single day in San Fran, and because this person was somebody prominent, um, somebody influential in culture, now everybody's kind of paying attention. But I guess the only good thing to come out of that is, even though that's the case, and many other victims have, haven't got the same amount of light, maybe this death will actually um, you know, spearhead some change in San Francisco, and we're going to be seeing some reforms or whatever needs to be done in order to kind of restore law and order or to get things back to some semblance of normality because, you know, the amount of flipping craziness that happens over there is absolutely nuts. It continues. San Francisco, San Francisco, um, other homicide victims in 2023 are Gavin Boston, 40, Irving Sanchez Morales, 28, Carlos Romero Flores, 29, Maxwell Maltzman, 18, Demario Lockett, 44, Maxwell Mason, 29, Humberto Avila, 46, Gregory McFarland Jr., 36, Kareem Sims, 43, Deborah Lynn Horde, 57, and Jermaine Reeves, 52. Jesus Christ, RIP to all those victims. Um, San Francisco was home to much in the way of visible public misery, unnerving street behavior, and other drug, overt drug use. Its property crime rate has been long been high and the police clearance rate for property crimes has long been minimal but the city's violent crime rate is near historic lows and the low than most mid-range cities so people are robbing houses on a regular over there in san francisco god almighty but yeah r.i.p bob lee regardless um hopefully his killer is brought to justice um it's looking 
like it was somebody they actually knew could it be a lover's crow could it be friends bickering whatever it may be it shouldn't result in somebody losing their lives friends and lovers argue every single day it shouldn't end in such a tragic circumstances especially considering all the good work that he's done and the things that he would have done in the future r.i.p gone too soon gone too soon moving on from that one we've got a quick update courtesy of Engadget. Um, for courtesy of Engadget, sorry, regarding the news here that HBO Max will now be just be called going forward Max. It's <laughs> which is funny when it falls into Discovery Plus on May twenty third. So soon when you have to stream Succession or Last of Us, you'll no longer be looking for an, uh, an app called HBO Max, as been rumored. Warner Brothers Discovery, WBD, is changing the name of the streaming service to Simply Max. The company is folding content from Discovery into the platform to make it more of a one-stop shop through Discovery Plus will remain a standalone service in the US. The big tech, the big switch story will take place on May 23rd in the US almost exactly three years after um, the HBO Max de debuted. WBD previously said that it would combine the streaming services sometime this spring. WBD will announce a global rollout plans later this year. WBD um, CEO David Zalver, Zas Lev Zaslav suggested during the press event that in the coming months Max will be folded in sports and other live content. The company plans to add an average of more than forty new titles and TV shows in each month. Kind of weird, isn't it? Folding it all into Max as a word, um, you would assume HBO has more of the cachet, but I guess HBO being the channel or the overarching production company, I don't know how that works. You'd imagine HBO has a bit more weight than Max itself, but hey, I guess that happens. So if you're looking for HBO Max from May 23rd going forward, just look for Max only because HBO is no longer existing, especially on Discovery. Moving on from that one. We've got some information here regarding HBO Max, actually, regarding a Harry Potter series. I have to confess and say that I'm probably one of the rare people out here right now who has never read a single page of Harry Potter. I have no idea what the plot is about. I know it's some kids in some wizard school or something, but I have absolutely no semblance as to what the story is about, um, what the plot is about, who the characters' names are, who the villain is. I don't know nothing about it. Zero. But this news may have it got me interested to maybe start reading up on it and start doing my Googles and start watching the movies and maybe, you know, read the synopsis of the flipping books and see what the deal is. Because if HBO are putting in all this money into a Harry Potter series, Harry Potter must be pretty decent because I trust HBO. I really do trust HBO. So if they are doing all of this for Harry Potter, this must mean Harry Potter series is flipping crazy. So it's a courtesy of Variety. It says, Harry Potter series ad adaptation officially ordered at HBO Max and will feature an entirely new cast. So it says that the Harry Potter TV series officially moving forward at HBO Max. The announcement was made during the Warner Brothers Discovery presentation to press and investors on April 12th, which was announced that HBO Max was officially becoming a new service dubbed Max. News of the show based on the mega hit J.K. Rowling book series first leaked on April 3rd, but details have now been confirmed. Each season of the show will be based on one of the books. Whoa. With Warner Brothers Discovery describing the show as a decade-long series. So HBO are committing to 10 years of Harry Potter plus whatever else on top because you're assuming if this series does well, most likely there'll be offshoots and spin-offs from this that will continue on. 
So this might end up being like a, you know, multi, 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 multi year flipping deal. Um, it will feature an entirely new cast from the films. Um, which makes some sense because all those guys are older, I'm assuming. We're delighted to give the audiences the opportunity to discover Hogwarts in a whole new way, said Casey Bloys, chairman and CEO of HBO and Max Content. Harry Potter is a cultural phenomenon and it is clear that there is such an enduring love and thirst for the wizarding world. In partnership with Warner Brothers Television and J.K. Rowling, this new Max original series will dive deep into each of the iconic books that fans have continued to enjoy for all these years. Yo, J.K. Rowling is going to make absolute bank. Bank. Can you imagine how much money she's going to be making? She's already caked up anywhere as it is. But the fact that they keep mentioning her in this article, it makes me think she's going to have a real big influence in what the show looks like, sounds like, and just, just overall the final product. Because she still kind of, I'm assuming, maintains the intellectual property of those books. So big up her for doing a good deal. Maxwell produced, um, Maxwell produced in association with Bronte Film and TV and Warner Brothers Television. Rowling will executive produce along with Neil Blair and Ruth Kenley Letts. David Hyman is currently in talks to executive producer as well. So she's definitely involved. Um, Max's commitment um, to preserving the integrity of the books is important to me. And I'm looking forward to being part of the new adaptation, which will allow for a degree of depth and detail only afforded by long form television series, says Rowling. The announcement brings to an end of speculation on whether or not the Wizarding World Harry Potter could make a TV translation. As Rice reported in 2021, the franchise has now proven incredibly popular across the range of media. The first book in the series, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or The Sorcerer's Stone in the US, was originally published in 1997. The final book, Harry Potter and the Deadly of, and the Deadly of Hollows, debuted in 2007. So these books have been done for 10, for more than 10 years right these books have been done for years and they're still this popular the last book was in 20 2007 yo i'm have to check it out but anyway on top of that that's great news so i'm really oh, kind of you know uh, eager to see what that tv series looks like but of course people are some people are not happy and already people have been kind of spouting out saying oh why is jk rowling involved with this based on her previous comments and you know they're trying to reactivate the cancellations which i've never been a fan of i can understand cancel culture to a certain extent especially if you can't get you know um if you if you if you aren't afforded the opportunity for justice in the courts i can understand why sometimes some people want to go back and go into the whole cancel culture thing and try to publicly embarrass people who maybe have done them wrong but when people say stuff that some people don't agree with and all that malarkey i think that's where cancel culture goes a bit crazy especially in this in this remark in this case actually because i think in this case it should be easy even if you don't agree with jk rowling's opinions it should be easy to just say you know what i don't like the person but i'm gonna enjoy the books that's what should be happening you shouldn't be that flipping um sensitive where like if the person who made the book says something that you don't agree with it immediately makes you want to throw the books away burn them or completely disavow them as a uh, you know or everything they've done i think that's a little bit ott but this headline's courtesy of Variety. It said HBO boss dodges J.K. Rowling in anti-trans controversy after announcing Harry Potter series. It says the announcement during a Q&A with a press presentation, however, executives were least forthcoming about the involvement of creator J.K. Rowling. The author, who will be executive producer of the series, has become increasingly controversial for repeatedly sharing views that trans women are not women and trans men are not men. 
Casey Blois, the chairman and CEO of, of HBO Max Content, declined to comment on Rowling's views when asked how they may affect their ability to find talent for the series, which they shouldn't do because it doesn't matter all that stuff. She may have said those things, but for the benefit of this TV series, it really doesn't matter. Um, let's see. This fucking Malteser-headed cunt is writing a book. Brian Stelter plots book, Network of Lies, a sequel to Fox News probe hoax. He's such a flip. This is the definition of a cuck. This dude here, Brian Stelter. So annoying. Anyway, continue. Now I don't think this is a forum, um, says Blois. Blois said. That's a very online conversation. <laughs> I love this. That's such a good, good rebuttal. That's a very on that's a very online conversation. Very nuanced and complicated and not something we're gonna get into. Our priority is what was on what's on screen. Obviously the Harry Potter story is incredibly affirmative, positive, and about love and self acceptance. That's our priority. That's what's on screen. In terms of T V series Blois um stated simply, Rowling will be involved. She's executive producer of the show. Her insights are going to be helpful on that. The TV show is new and we're excited about that. But remember, we've been in the Potter business for 20 years. This is not the new decision for us. We're very comfortable being in the Potter business. Hmm. Interesting. So I wonder what's going to be happening here. I would hope, I would hope that they keep her on the show. I would hope it doesn't turn to a thing where they get nervous and kind of boot her off. And because if you're a fan of the show, you're going to be hoping that she stays on it too because she's the only one that's going to be able to kind of maintain and make sure that the books are actually kind of, or the series are actually faithful to the books in some degree. You're going to need that kind of oversight. So if you're a Harry Potter fan, even if you don't agree with her opinions, you're going to hope and pray that these guys don't succumb to the public pressure, boot her off the show, and then the show before it comes out is already doomed on the rival right Do you know what i mean you don't want that in the slightest but yeah big up flipping jk rowling big up hbo max um interested to see how this series plays out again like i said before i've never ever watched harry potter but i'm legitimately may have to start dabbling into it and see what all the hype is about before the series comes out so i know what the deal is so i know what the deal is um, big up everybody in the stream chat yeah big up hando thank you for the love it is the 100th episode of the random show if you do enjoy the shows i put out on these live streams and do a flipping solid for me and please smash that like button that'd be greatly appreciated that's all i ask from you that's all i ask from you moving on from that one we got some quite sad news actually um prayers and thoughts go out to jamie fox and hopefully he heals very very quickly because i'm a real big fan of his um everything from the music to the stand-up to the acting and all around just being a flipping gent and a gentleman you know a gent and a flipping entertainer and just a cool dude so it's really troubling to see this headline courtesy of tmz it says jamie fox hospitalized for medical complication family says he's recovering um so the original article says jamie fox suffered what his family are calling a medical complication though his daughter says um her famous father condition is already improving um jamie's daughter actress corinne fox posted a medical update wednesday on social media and she says um jamie suffered the issue on tuesday but immediately got great care and now is on amend sources with direct knowledge tell tmz the condition was serious enough that that jamie was hospitalized Corin adds, "We know, um, we know how beloved he is, and accept your prayer, your prayers." The family asks for privacy during his time. At this time, it's unclear how um, Jamie came to discover the still unspecified complication, or if he was experiencing symptoms and prompted him to get checked up. And then the update says, um, "Here." Uh, 
da, 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 da. sources without knowledge tell TMT Jane Fox is doing a lot better. We're even joking with his family. That said, we're told the medical emergency was serious and doctors still haven't gotten to the bottom of what happened. Another one says, sources direct knowledge say Jamie suffered a medical emergency Tuesday morning and was taken to hospital. We're told his condition is improving and some of whom were not in town. He's communicating now it's good news. So the reason why he's in there isn't really my concern in the slightest. I just hope he gets well soon because the man is way too young to be, you know, having these kind of issues and hopefully he gets right and hopefully he makes a speedy recovery super, super soon. But yeah, praise and thoughts go out to flipping, um, you know, Jamie Foxx. Hopefully you recover, brother. Hopefully you do recover. Moving on from that one, we're going to talk about this quickly. I thought this was very encouraging and really cool. This is courtesy of flipping Sky News. And again, I think it kind of makes us here in the UK look kind of embarrassing considering how we take everything that our government gives us flipping, you know, with open arms, lying down with our, you know, face down, bum in the air and stuff. This is courtesy of flipping Sky News. It says rail workers in, in Paris invade the Louis Vuitton headquarters as protests erupt over France on the eve of the decision for the retirement age. So it continues here. It says protesters have stormed the headquarters of luxury label Louis Vuitton on the eve of the expected ruling on controversial pension reform. Striking railway workers invaded the Paris headquarters of LVMH, um, which also represents brands including Christian Dior, Fendi and Givenchy on Thursday. It comes as tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets of the French capital, some clashing with riot police. Footage of Paris also shows a smashed shop window and a spray painted Tesla car on fire. Demonstrations are taking place in towns across the cities of the country, including Rennes, where pictures are also shown a Mercedes on fire and a final show of anger over the proposed changes to the pension. Um, as you can see there, loads of bread, fireworks there, loads of flipping stormtrooper police officers there in France. It comes ahead of an expected ruling on whether the President Macron's unpopular plan to raise retirement age um, in France um, meets constitutional standards. The plans would see the general retirement age rise from 62 to 64, while sanctioned sector workers could be forced to work an extra two years until they're 59. Dozens of people waving flags and holding flares of loft were seen entering LVMH premises on June on 22nd Avion Montaigne um, on Thursday morning at the 12th of day of national nationwide protest strikes began mid January. So these motherfuckers, these Parisian, these French absolute dons have been protesting in some way since January, but it's the 12th day of nationwide protest. These guys just do it better, man. And it's really encouraging to see because I remember there was a time, I think that's when my political will and kind of inf enthusiasm kind of died when I decided to take part in the student fees, no, university fees protest that happened here in the UK many, many, many years ago. And the whole premise behind it was that the, the tuition fees that you pay every year to go university were really low at one time. They were like a thousand or something. And then there was a proposed change that they wanted to put in place where they'd rise tuition fees up to 6,000 and in some places 10,000 per year, which obviously students like myself at the time were up in arms about. And at the time, we started protesting about it. Um, we went to the streets, we gathered, we marched, we sung, we fought police officers, we lit up flares, we turned over bins and stuff. We did all we need to do. 
Then in the end, um, what at one part of the coalition government at the time, I think it was the Labour. What were they what were they called? I forgot what they called. Nick Clegg, anyway, that guy, because I don't remember, I never forget his name. But representative of that party, I forgot what his name was, what the party's name was. But Nick Clegg, he basically promised that if the kids stop rioting and protesting, that he would make sure that the student fees wouldn't go up, the tuition fees. And guess what happened the moment we stopped writing? The fees went up straight away. And they didn't even go up to six grand, they went up to 10,000 now basically and i think most places only have a minimum of eight thousand tuition per year so i remember that happening and how cold it was outside how horrible experience it was to be outside protesting you know essentially quote unquote putting your life on the line being promised one thing by a politician and then the politician turning back and doing the complete opposite and i thought to myself you know what no more politics for me i'm done i'm over it i'm done i'm over it i'm done i'm over it but these french people they know how to flip and protest correctly and they know how to get their voices heard. And I wish we'd do the same in some parts of our country here in the UK, especially considering what our government try and get away with. So um, solidarity with everybody out there in Paris, all across flipping France, protesting, really, really are. Yeah. And I really do hope, really do hope, fingers crossed, that they're able to get that change that they need and they can push back this stupid legislation because it's going to mean a lot of people are going to be forced to work way, way, way longer hours, um, which is obviously um, something that most people wouldn't want to do, especially considering the economic conditions that we're in at the moment. Let's play a little bit of clip here from Sky News. Hopefully I don't get cancelled for this. These are the live shots, these protests across the country, but this is specifically in Paris. You can see the police lining up with protesters opposite them. And this is basically after trade unions urged what they want to say is a show of force on the streets, and it comes a day before that Constitutional Council's ruling, and that will be... There you go, that gives you more of a sense of just wow. how many police are out so on the streets. so many people. Lots of protesters, as I was saying, after those trade unions urged a show of force on the streets a day before that ruling. So what's going to happen tomorrow is the Constitutional Council is going to rule on the legality of the bill. And that bill, if it is, if it does go through, it will raise the retirement age by two years from 62 to 64. Absolutely heinous. So yeah, solidarity with everybody over there across, across France, across Paris and anywhere else in between hopefully you get your way hopefully you get your way <laughs> Viteski's comment here I saw one dude standing on a castle yelling about a revolution and it was kind of hot yeah 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 the French um the French have a way about them I think I went to Paris recently actually when was it maybe a couple of years ago and I finally got it I've been there many many times especially with my family and what's not and whatnot and I never really got the vibe about it and especially when I went when I was a little bit older I kind of felt like everybody was really pompous and up their own ass, which they clearly are. And I just didn't like the vibe of it. But then when I went back a few years back, um, or a couple of years back, sorry, I did go with, no, I met some friends there. And that's when I saw a different side of Paris. And I got to see actual Parisians day to day. And I understood why people kind of like that place and the love that they have for it especially when it comes to what these people look like because they have a certain je ne sais quoi about them that is really hard to pin down especially some of the women like they don't even try that hard and they seem to just always look chic always look well put together 
and it's just kind of amazing to kind of see from afar as a tourist to be honest it's really really cool um so for sure if you're into those kind of dudes or guys you know paris is definitely um a place to go to because you'll see some very well put together human beings just walking down the street minding their business living life doing the normal things doing the normal things but yeah big up big up big up big up yes big up uche yes yes you know the vibes 100 crew one zero zero uno zero zero we're here 100 gang big up everybody hanging out make sure you smash that flipping like button for me that'll be greatly appreciated if you are vibing and enjoying what you're seeing today so i want to find out what's happening with my guy wings of redemption if you don't know wings of redemption right this absolute ogre over here right is going to be boxing and fighting another ogre called boogie in a celebrity quote-unquote boxing match and um i guess you know it's been a bit up and down in terms of getting a deal done because i think um keemstar's organizing it and maybe there's something about sanctions are happening i don't know what's going on but in terms of confirming the fight there was a lot of kind of you know confusion as to whether or not it was actually going to happen because i think neither of the guys have got a contract but wings are just confirmed based on this title from this detractor called Lummox, who I'm a big fan of, that he has got the contract, but he hasn't signed it yet. So I want to see what his wing's up to. Why hasn't he signed the contract yet? What's going on? Let's check out what Lummox has done with this amazing video here featuring Wings of Redemption. That's the way I pimp. Mix. It's on a bayou. Them's are the things that I ain't gonna buy you. Right. <laughs> I love that intro music. Come on, man. Tell us. Let's see. Okay, baby. That's life. That's life. I love you. I uh, sent that thing to your email. Yeah, no. Okay. I got it. Tell me if you think you can improve on it. Or if you feel you need to improve on it. Dude, I don't need help boxing. I need help getting fucking conditioned. It's only gonna be a couple hours stream today, guys, because I, I gotta, I gotta still take a bath, take the trash off, and I gotta, I gotta be at the doctor at four fifteen. So we're gonna go do about two hours today. <laughs> oh, and that sound you're hearing—that that's his legs shaking. That's his like nervous twitching that he does, that he doesn't want to stop fans hate it like he's a fascinating figure low cows in general fascinate me in the same way brendan shaw fascinates me like how how are they able to function in the world without being aware of how they come across and without any any um without any kind of desire to change the parts about him that people clearly don't like wings being a good example he does that leg shaking thing everyone complains he doesn't care he just keeps doing it he sits and eats his entire dinner on stream, chewing and chopping and slapping his mouth all over the flipping microphone. Everyone says they don't like it. He just keeps on doing it. I don't understand these people. Why are you eating on stream? Why not just like turn the stream off or put it on flipping standby, coming back soon, go and eat your dinner and then come back? What's this, what's, what is with this whole eating on camera thing? Especially when you're chewing into a microphone. There's nothing worse than that. Especially if you've got headphones and hearing somebody chew. But yeah, big up wings. 
<laughs> what? Okay, let me not play all the gameplay. I want to find out what, why he hasn't signed the contract yet. Let's see what he says here. My dickhead Donnie. Oh, shit. Can tell us, can you tell us, please? New bit, Boogie's new video. I'm not going to. <clears throat> oh, he busted my ass. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Mid. Dude! Oh, help! <clears throat> you looking forward to the fight? No, nah, I did. Here we go. Like, Boogie did some disrespect for shit recently. And it's like, I've already came clean of that and apologized in a public manner. Like, I apologized in the New York Times article. I said, about as public as you can get. Nah, I'm good. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather take the high road on this. What did Boogie do? Let's find no, I'm not showing the do. contract on stream. <clears throat> uh, I haven't signed it yet. There's just only, I'm, there's just one thing I wanted to go over. Apparently, there's like some type of fee, or like we're we're supposed to like um, absorb said fee out of our purse, and I want to know what that fee is before I sign it. If there's one thing for sure about locals, they're all about their money. Locals are all about their money. Locals are all about their money. Yeah, don't you? Oh, man, you guys don't know anything about the about the flipping lore about Wings of Redemption, do you? So Wings of Redemption got an article written about him in the New York Times, if I'm not mistaken, because I think that it was about like online harassment and bullying or something, like cyberbullying. And he tried to paint himself out to be a victim. But what he didn't realize was that obviously it's a New York Times journalist. They had an ulterior motive. And once um, Wings detractors and people that don't like him, like trolls and stuff, got in contact with the journalist, they discovered what Wings is actually like. And then the writer then spun the story and basically turned it into like a somewhat expose type of thing talking about all the toxic stuff he's done online and said online and whatnot and it turned into a bit of a hit piece <laughs> so he went into it what he went into it wanting to be a victim to character basically what most locals do they love being the victim and then it turned into a hit piece on him so it wasn't the greatest thing really but i want to find out what boogie said about wings what what, what, what did boogie say about wings why are they why are they beefing again here boogie calls out wings one week 12 hours oh he called him a peed okay that's why is that what he said to him okay cool let's let's see this he called him a peder let's see what boogie had to say to him big up mr yellow dick swag. uh mr yellow dick swagger how you doing my man exposing wings redemption lie after lie mr yellow dick swagger is a 44 year old man it's literally like a 45 year old man that's got a vendetta because i banned him on switch five and a half years ago boogie calling richard a pdf but instead, you fucked it up. And I listen to you talk about all this fucking pedo shit. What's all this pedo shit? Man, I dated girls in their 20s when I was sugaring. You know what I ain't never done? Defended fucking a 13-year-old. What the fuck was that about? Why are you talking about that shit? You know, what the fuck, Jordy? Someone needs to shut your fucking mouth. I'm going to shut it for good. Even your old buddies think you're a predator. What a piece of shit wings was and how you're going to put that pedophile down once and for all how you think <laughs> how, 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 you, that's what you may not you're, put, 
This is about putting an animal down. And I'll you need to be my... talking about how he's the one who wanted to fight in London because of the age of fucking consent. You need to be talking about he's, how he's only going to London because there's some girl from Rainbow Six over there that he's wanting to, to meet up, and he's bringing... I you need to say it. Murder this motherfucker. No, but you I'll... need to say these things. And I'll tell you. you. mean them. On April, on 8th of April, 2023, everything I said was for comedy to make a podcast popular. None of that makes me a predator. Because most of that shit I said on PK was said so to be comedy. Edgy, dark, centered, humid comedy. Y'all sound soft as a motherfucking dog. I've apologized for it. I've rebuked it, and I've let you know before, I was wrong for saying it. But none of that makes me the P-word. <laughs> this is more reminder of all the PDF clips we have of comments. I've seen, I've seen a guy, I've seen an underage kid get his dick sucked on YouTube. Dead serious. <laughs> I, don't ask about the video now, it's probably took down. Mine was, I watched 14 year old, throat fucked by a horse until she vomited and it came on her face. Jesus uh, Christ. Oh, wow. I was like, why am I watching this? <laughs> <laughs> did what did you get? What did you get survived? <laughs> It was like I don't even know how I got to the dark side of the internet that day. <laughs> that's not even that's not even the dark side of YouTube. That's the dark side of the whole entire. So what they got to do is they got to get three underage girls and pay pay each one of them just hand the money off. So they're you kind of need to be over twenty. Like like you kind of need some alcoholics to make a show good. You know. Right. Yeah. There's there's room to make the show good. Come on now. All of them are underage. That means they can get the underage hookers and every consensual. Oi. They should put me on that show. I'd be out there with Jericho. I'd bring a bitch in and be like, what you doing, Wings? I'm about to go have the fun movement. What I admitted to seeing on RTU, let me say it again, and I'll say it. What I admitted to watching was a video was sent to me on Skype that was on YouTube of a girl doing stuff to a boy in an alcove. That was it. That was it. Reminder that on PKA he advocated for the age of consent to be 12. CP should be cut off at 12. 16 and 14 is okay. He tried defending it again on RTU. Said he wanted to discriminalize watching CP instead of making but CP. But none of that makes me the P word. Anyways. So you get the deal. People don't like Wings. Wings has got a bad reputation online. And that got dark very quickly. But hey, it is what it is. This is the random show. We do some random things. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, moving on from that one. So let's t let's talk about the main chunk of the show we want to talk about today concerning the old Brendan Schaub. So Brendan appeared on this podcast called My First Million, which I which is I, which I'm kind of very aware of, because I was I've been a fan of the show for a while, and I had no idea that these guys were actual fans of Brendan. So when I saw this crossover, I was kind of surprised. Like, what the fuck was he doing on that show? But then I also thought to myself, you know what? This would actually be a pretty decent show for him to go on, 
because they're quite business they're basically business minded essentially the kind of the clues in the name my first million where it's you know they kind of profile and speak to um, entrepreneurs and small business owners who you know have a business and they what they did to get to their first million and how they're scaling it and that and beyond and it's pretty informative they have other bits and pieces on their podcast too where they talk about news about entrepreneurship and business they might give you tips and tricks and ideas and stuff that you can do it's all really good handy stuff they have another arm of their business i think it's called hustle where they have this kind of blog where they write articles about business as well so if you're into that kind of world and you you know you want to have your own little you know startup or muse or little business on the side to generate some side income these guys are really good guys to kind of follow and check out so the podcast my first million is really good but over time i kind of got turned off by them mainly due to the one dude the white dude in the group in the, in the duo called sam Parr. he's a little bit of a cunt in my opinion he can come across a little bit insufferable i think there was a period in time maybe because he sold his business or something he's again i think it happens to most podcasts he started to change i think he sold a business for a crazy amount of money if i'm not mistaken again i'm i'm, I'm not really too sure what happened but something changed in how he kind of was acting on the show he started to act like his shit doesn't stink anymore and it kind of turned me off and naturally most of these shows you know, because there's so many of them you know i don't really make that big of a fuss about it because who gives a shit what i think i just stopped listening to it and i haven't really paid much attention to it but i'm still subscribed to it on my flipping apple podcast i'll see it pop up from time to time if i see an episode title that i like i might check it out but i don't actively check it out like as much as before because you know basically one of the co one of the co-hosts on the show sampa you know turned into a bit of an insufferable cunt but apart from that the show's decent very well very good show so to start off with brendan Shaw went on the show and i have to be honest just to kind of give the positives first i thought the first 20 minutes was pretty solid if i was extending and you know an olive branch i'd say maybe the first half an hour he did a really good job of kind of presenting himself well i think somebody mentioned it in the subreddit but this is the most um this is the most eloquent i've ever heard brendan sound without wanting to sound like a business person he just sounded like he woke up early it sounded like he had his coffee it sounded like he maybe went for a run maybe did a couple of star jumps before he did a pod like he was sharp and on point this is the best i've heard brendan brendan sound speaking in like forever i was actually quiet i was like who, who the hell is this guy he actually sounded quite like you know he actually sounded like the, the old brendan that you would have maybe been a fan of so that was pretty cool but then as soon as it got into the questions um about stand-up and about you know his career and about his goals and stuff that's when he started to fall apart because he just didn't really have a clear answer or he was making up on the fly or he was just being full of shit so it was kind of difficult to get through but i thought the first half an hour was solid i thought he did really well i thought the host he did a good job of asking him some pretty decent question that he could kind of rant and rave about and in general he was an actual good time on this show. I actually do think he did a pretty good job on this show altogether. All so I'm not going to give him any kind of hassle about that. But there are some bits and pieces in this show that I think that we need to kind of discuss further. And I actually went through it and pulled loads of clips. Actually, I think I've got a few clips on here that I'm going to pull that we're going to talk about on this stream. So we're going to just dive in deep and kind of go... What should we start from? Let's start from the first one. Let's start from the first kind of short clip towards the beginning of the show. 
and we're just going to go through them and what i'm going to do just to make it easier for when i clip it later or from people just watching it in general just to make it more of an enjoyable experience i'm going to just play the clip in full then i'm going to go back and basically make some commentary on top of it but just so if i clip it people don't get annoyed oh you talk too much play the clip play the clip which is always annoying because it clearly says in the description that it's a clip from a stream but i get it it can be annoying when people can't keep rambling so let's play the first clip of flipping brendan Shaw on my first million and you know he already started off with a bit of shaky ground some lies here and there a couple of funny ones but this is brendan Shaw essentially explaining how he got his start in stand-up comedy and i think in my opinion this may add some credence to why some people don't like him and i think this is one of the bits that he's not really aware of for some reason but let's play the clip anyway so you can see what i mean this is the first clip Let's play it so you can see what I mean. Thousand rep, reps on podcasts with co comedians keeping up with them, making them laugh, being you know really quick at it, and then really it, it's almost the perfect situation in order to get started in stand up because the Find the Kid got you know so popular. We do live Find the Kids, but remember Brian Kelly's been doing comedy for thirty years, so. When they we got offered to do a live fire in the kid, I told Brian, I'm like, you ever been to a live podcast? They suck. It's two guys they on suck. the mic. They, they're the worst, dude. And Brian goes, no, man. No, no, I've been show business for 30 years. We're going to do a performance. So I go, okay, what do you want to do? So we came up with this whole idea to make it a show. And uh, Brian at the time knew I wanted to do stand-up, but he didn't want to, I guess, scare me because it is scary, you know, especially doing in front of these sold-out crowds when most people are doing open mics with 15 other salty comments, you know? So for me... You know, doing it in a sold-out crowd, Brian go, all right, here, because Brian was always late to the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm very professional. I'm, I'm, I'm not late. I'm never late. And whatever, 12 <laughs> years of podcasts, I've never been late. It's not what I do. So Brian would be late, and he used to drive me nuts. I used to roast him every time he'd come in late. He was like, so our first live show, let's keep up with the theme. We're going to pretend I'm late. I'm not there, and you got to start the show by yourself. So you're going to tell a story for 10 minutes and I'll come in, you get all upset. We do the whole act. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I can handle that. So I tell a story because I was good at telling stories. So that carries on for, you know, four or five shows. And then again, we're at, I forget, probably Portland or Seattle, some sold out theater. And uh, I'm backstage before the, the crowd. I'm pretty nervous. I tell Brian, I go, man, I don't know what story I'm going to tell. And, you know, Brian was like frantic. He was, you know, again, he's looking for something. He goes, what? I don't know what story I'm going to tell you. What are you talking about? Story? No, you're doing stand-up, dumbass. I was like, oh, and then it just clicked. I'm like, oh, so storytelling, you just told me that because you didn't want to scare me. I was like, crap, you're doing stand-up, dude. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. So shortly after that, I come to the realization, like, this is stand-up. It's just your way of doing it. So then um we do a live fight in the kid at the comedy store you know the world famous comedy store which as a kid was like you know the mecca it's like mess and square garden for basketball so i uh we do the comedy store goes great and then six weeks or six days later i'm driving i get a call from the manager of the comedy store emily and she calls me and she goes hey brad this is emily at the comedy store you're like how are you doing she was great show the other day i'm like thank you she goes hey we're seeing if you'd like to do a set in the belly room give give you six minutes I go, let me call Brian Cowell and see if he's available. She goes, no, dumbass, just you. You had a great set the other night. I'm like, me? You want me to do stand-up at the comedy store? She goes, yeah, it's, a, it's in the small room, the belly room, but if you want six minutes, it's yours. So I was like, say less. So I did that, and then there was just, you know, that was in 2000, 
2014, 2015 ish, like early 2015, probably right around end of 2014. And then, just, you know, you get that bug and then it's off to the races, man. You know, I knew it was, you know, it takes a, takes a lot of work, but back to the point of, you know, getting to- tossed in the deep end, you know, I'm doing stand up for about two years. I think I'm the fastest comic to ever get a, a network special at Showtime. And, you know, I, I, I just, in in my eyes, I thought at the time, oh, I'm proud of that special. Don't get me wrong. I, I challenge any comic who's been there two, year, two years to do a network special and have 60 minutes, you know? Now, is it as good as Bill Burr's special? No. But in my head, I thought people would see that and go, oh, my God, for only doing two years? Look at this guy. Think how much better he's going to get in four years and five years and 10 years. And fi- where's he going to be on 15 years? But a lot of people don't have that insight. And they, they don't just, give a shit about that. They, yeah, they don't see <laughs> it like that. And, you know, I, and again, you know, this is a while ago, so I was young. And I've, I always, it, it might be, it could be an asset or it could be a huge gaping hole that I have. But I always see the best in people in society. Like, I don't pay attention to hate. Everything's all good. You know, I just, I, you know, I gravitate towards positivity. So I was like, no, f- for the most part, people are like, oh, this guy's been two years. This is good for him. No, man, when you do that, what happens is it actually pushes you further away from them. I thought it would bring me closer to being legit and be like my <laughs> peers. No, it pushes you farther away because a lot of those guys that I mentioned earlier on, and even outside of those guys, a lot of famous comedians, it took them 15, 20 years to get a network special. So there's a lot of, it's not even jealousy. It's just like, you know, it just it rubs people the wrong way. And I didn't see that coming. I got to be honest. And I don't think really anybody did. So absolutely redacted, right? There's so much to get in on there, but we need to dissect it. The first thing that needs to be mentioned here is that there's a bit in this clip where Brendan essentially says that open mics are basically pointless. Like he didn't need to get an open mic. And his kind of excuse for it was that he was getting his... 10,000 hours in his kind of reps and sets in by going back and forth with comedians on his podcast the fire and the kid and because he did that and because brian callen somehow tricked him into doing stand-up and doing storytelling at the flipping live shows that basically gave him all the kind of starting ground that he needed to get going in stand-up without doing open mics this to me was a precise example as to why maybe Brennan has never really pushed on in stand-up because I think I've said it before must having done a lot of these streams now and watched a few clips of other people and whatnot and recently I've decided to kind of restart what we you know aside to get back into watching Kill Tony it's actually quite understandable why someone like Brendan has this weird delusion um, and kind of sees himself way better than what he actually is because I think most likely he compares himself to others quite often. And if you look at other comedians out there, especially if you check out, you know, shows like Kill Tony, there is real no, there is no real middle ground in stand-up. Either you kind of have it or you don't, but there is no middle ground. There's no people that are just ordinary. They're either really good or they're on a cusp or they could be good in a few years or they're just really terrible. And the really terrible ones, the super depressing ones for me, are the ones, the guys and girls who have been in it for more than three years or so, and they still have nothing to show for it in terms of actually being good at what they do. 
that's what makes you a bit depressed. You're like, damn, man, this person's going to commit and throw all of their life savings at this dream, and clearly they don't have it. But, of course, with stand-up, you never know. If you hone your craft, it could happen, blah, blah. All these false dreams sold. So I'm not surprised that Brendan maybe does think he is way funnier than what he actually is. But I do kind of, you know, stick with my guns in like my kind of impression where I think to myself, like, I honestly don't think he's that unfunny. What I think he's bad at is obviously the craft of stand-up comedy because he never did it. He proved the story. He never did it. He kind of skipped all the steps and was glad, kind of happy to kind of take a shortcut. And then in the end, it ended up biting him in the ass because now he's, what, six years in. And you can honestly say, maybe he's more than six years in, but I don't think even the you know the biggest Brendan Shaw fan could sit there and say that Gringo Pappy was that much better than flipping you'd be surprised I don't think it was five years better it may be a year better than flipping you'd be surprised but they weren't that far off from each other they were quite interchangeable in terms of their quality or in terms of the funnies and Gringo Pappy was 30 minutes actually 24 minutes of actual jokes but it was less time you'd think there'd be way more jokes to pack in per minute and it actually didn't have it I would actually argue I've argued before here on the stream that I actually think you can get more laughs out of you'd be surprised than Gringo Pappy, in my opinion. But the comment that really kind of, I think, was crazy was the thing he said about open micers. Let me see if I can find it. It's somewhere around here. Something about open micers. Let's see if I can play it. Like, you ever been to a live podcast? They suck. It's two guys they on suck. the mic. They, they're the worst, dude. And Brian goes, no, man. No, no, I've been show business for 30 years. We're going to do a performance. So I go, okay, what do you want to do? So we came up with this whole idea to make it a show. And uh, Brian, at the time, knew I wanted to do stand-up, but he didn't want to... I guess scare me because it is scary, you know, especially doing in front of these sold out crowds when most people are doing open mics with 15 other salty comets, you know? So, <laughs> who says that? 15 other salty comics. Yeah, you know, especially doing in front of these sold out crowds when most people are doing open mics with 15 other salty comets, you know? Like, who says that? Why would you say that? And I've always wondered as well when that kind of when he has those kind of sayings, right? He's not even one of these like weathered, beaten down stand-ups who kind of has gone through the ringer, who kind of had a, a couple of TV show pilots, maybe never got picked. Hey, big up MM. Big up, big up, big up, big up. I picked up Billy's dog today. Yay! Hooray. Good news. Big up MM. I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. Really, 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 really glad. Really, really, really glad to hear that actually over the moon. Big up Billy, big up the princesses, big up MM. Thank you so much for the one dollar super ninety-nine. Um what was I gonna say about that again? Sorry, I lost my phone for oh I was gonna say, sorry. Um so yeah. That comment that he made about being um around fifteen salty stand-ups at an open mic, I don't understand because it's not like Brendan is like a guy that's been through the ringer in the industry. He's somebody that kind of got you know, brought in, um, you know, under the guidance of Brian Callen and Joe Rogan. So he kind of got thrust into stardom, skipped a few steps anyway. So why is he so bitter and twisted about stand-up comedy and not, or the open mic scene? What's that all about? Why is he poo-pooing it? And actuality, as I said previously, I think he would have benefited greatly from actually going that route even though he had a pretty big podcast at the time and he had the ability to perform at these crazy venues, 
if he actually went down the open mic route and actually tried to hone his craft, you never know. He actually could be way funnier than he is. Because I know this will be controversial to say, but I honestly don't think he's that unfunny. I just think he's not good at stand-up in terms of putting jokes together, you know, in terms of having good premises, in terms of being a student of the game and actually watching specials and shit. He just doesn't have that level of curiosity or interest in that stuff in the slightest. And I think he would have gathered, got that, and he would have kind of had those habits if he went through the open mic route, personally for me. But some could argue... Maybe he's got too many character defects um, that he that was never going to be an option. But him saying what he said there about the open micers was very, 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 very telling and also kind of told us why he basically ended up being the way he is and why his specials are some of the most lowest rated specials ever in the history of stand-up comedy. So maybe he did skip some steps. Maybe the steps he skipped were better, were worked out better for him and his family because it afforded him the ability to kind of be where he is now at the moment. But in terms of his career, in terms of his actual craft, in terms of him having the respect of his peers, it was the biggest mistake ever taking that Showtime special. One of these biggest mistakes he's ever made, ever, ever, ever. And the fact that he was sitting there waiting for somebody else to come and tell him that he shouldn't have done this or chill out and do this is ridiculous, especially if you um, listen to what he says. He said previously in another show that he got guidance actually from Joe Rogan and Brian Callen to not do the special. They told him, hey, don't do it. You're not ready yet. It's a bad decision. And at the time, he legitimately thought Brian Callum was jealous of him because at the time, you know, Brendan's career was kicking off. It was going in a better direction than Brian at the time in terms of stand-up because Brian may be stagnating because he was focusing more on his comedic acting stuff. And Brendan legitimately thought that Brian Callum being his friend and somebody that mentored him was being jealous. And that's why he was telling him not to take the Showtime special after only doing stand-up comedy for two years. And if in, in, in the end, he ended up being proven right because it ended up kind of probably doing more damage than good in the long run, you'd imagine. So all this stuff he's saying about, I wish he was told, I wish he was told that is really nonsense. He's just trying to kind of play up to these guys that he's speaking to. So that was the first clip that I thought was absolutely ridiculous in the whole bunch of clips that I thought I wanted to kind of cover. Next on here, we have to talk about this clip, which is really another one which is really um, hilarious. And I think a lot of people on the flipping um, subreddit have been going crazy about it. This is Joe. This is Brendan Shaw on the My First Million podcast, essentially calling everybody on the flipping Fire the Kids subreddit evil because they dare to call him out on his bullshit from time to time. Really crazy overreaction and generally kind of doesn't address the reason why some people don't like him but what do you expect from brenda so let's play the clip and then i'll give you my commentary on the other end you know you let's go you have for people who don't know you got a big fan base you got a yeah. big anti-fan base and yes, uh the anti-fan base i think is on on reddit I go to this subreddit a bunch, but I'm not like like I. It's weird. I like you, but I also find it funny. Like they're so <laughs> clever. These people are kind of so funny, but they're also funny in the same way. Like it's kind of this this double thing. I'm curious, like for you, obviously that's like you know it's probably funny for me because I'm outside of it. I'm not the person that's the butt of the joke in in some of these cases. Mm -hmm. But you know, me and Sam got maybe one one hundredth of the like kind of the the passion and hate that you that you have because you've been doing this a long time you've you've made it yeah. pretty big but when i read our youtube comments 
and I see something like that, it stings in the moment, but also there's a lot of times where I'm like, they're not wrong. Like, you know, uh, there, there is some truth to where they're, they're being a dick about it, but there's some truth to where, where, what they're saying. I, I could see that. I'm curious mm-hmm. for you, when you, when you hear about the, the sort of the stuff on the subreddit or you check it out or whatever, do you have any moments where you're like, all right, they're kind of being mean about it or they're being a dick about it, but there's some truth to what they're saying. I mean, yeah, I'm sure, you know, I don't, in all honesty, I I don't pay attention to it. I think you, it's a it's a bad thing whether you pay attention to the negativity or the positivity. Yeah, I think you just got to keep doing your thing. You know, my heroes growing up didn't live this world, you know, so it, it can't be healthy. I think we'll find over years how it affects the brain, how it affects creatives and businessmen with who do pay, pay attention to that stuff and read the comments and stuff like that. So I don't want to be that sample size. I'm not going to be trying to get pick. that digital CTE of no, reading comments yeah, every day. I already a, yeah. I already have enough CTE, man. <laughs> I'm about to drive my Porsche off the PCH. But um, I think <laughs> with the Reddit group, yeah, you, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, the watch everything you do and th- there's, there's some things that I'm on board with. And then the only, there's a small select group on there who are just evil. So there's Whoa. difference between hate, which I get. I give you a lot to hate on. I do a lot of content. I make a lot of jokes. I offend a lot of people. I get that. You don't get to a certain <laughs> level without giving a lot of haters. You just don't. If you look at Logan Paul, Drake, <laughs> LeBron James, name some the massive celebrities that we have in this world. There, and you go online, you read their comments, or my buddy Joe Rogan. Nobody, you know, I don't know anybody gets more hate than that guy. But he gets more love. You know, I'm in the business of likability. So if you watch my podcast, you buy a ticket to my stand up, you buy the merch, you buy the whiskey, you're a fan. I make a living off likability. So I just don't, I don't give the hate energy as far as the Reddit goes. I get it. And some of them are really funny and I appreciate those guys, whether it's good or bad towards me. It gets a little dicey when they, they want to, I just, I don't understand when they cross, when they cross the line, when it gets into my personal life, right. It's like, I'm not Tom Cruise, dude. Why the right. fuck you give us, who cares about that stuff? You know, and thank God my wife, she's been with me since I was in the UFC. So when you're fighting UFC, you get a lot of love. You get a lot of hate. There's no in between if you're doing it right. So she's conditioned to that. She doesn't pay attention to it. She doesn't care, you know, at this point. So thank God for that. But the only time I don't like is when they make it super personal. It's about the kids. It's about, you know, certain things. But, you know, nobody's harder uh, on 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 me than myself. You know, there's nothing they can say that I don't tell myself usually on a daily basis. So trust me, it's way worse, whatever they're putting out. So although I, you know, I get it, I appreciate it. And, you know, I just don't give it energy. I think one of the things that I have going for me is, you know, I post and ghost. I don't pay attention to that stuff, but then I'm also, you know, I'm on the road, whatever it is, 30 weekends a year. I, you know, if I, I get done this interview, I go get coffee. I can't go down the street without somebody ten. hey, Brandon, love you, man. So to, that's real. That's what I care about. Social media, it's a factor for sure, but it's not the end all be all. I think when people realize that, that one in, if you're walking down the street, one in 10 people are on social media, especially on Twitter, that you can't give your self-value, your self-worth of what social media is. You're going to live a much happier life. So that Reddit group, they're going to do their thing. You know, and that comes with the territory and I was built for it. That's why God gave me big shoulders. But 
Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I they're going to clip that. They're going to love that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was built for it. And then also, you look, you know, if you look at me, I know, you know, I probably look like the guy that bored you in high school. And, and you know, they'll use some of that. You know, like, oh, Brendan's a bully or whatever. And I know I look like the guy, but if they actually knew me, you know, these people know me. They've never met me. You know, they're not buying tickets to a show, so I don't give it energy because. If I did, I wouldn't have a business. I wouldn't have this house that I'm talking to you guys in right now. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think it, it, it get the lines get blurred where it's like, oh, he's a big, strong guy. He's fighting UFC. He can handle this. We There's no limits. Everything's on off limits. He, he There's nothing off limits. We can go as hard as we want him. It's like, it actually hurts my feelings, man. It's actually not cool, you know, but I jokes, I'm all for. I'm all for, man. I'm a professional comic. We roast each other. We do our thing. So if it's funny, it's witty, fire away. But when you start going towards the, once, once you start going towards the personal side, well, then you've crossed the boundary, you know? And now also, if you want to have this conversation in person, you want to offend me, we can do that. I can do that. We can just see how it goes for you. That's never <laughs> happened. As long as I've been in entertainment, I've never run into anybody that said something to my face. So I just... I get what they're doing. If it's funny, it's witty, and they're going to do their thing, I actually appreciate it. But when you cross the boundary and you, you disrespect me a different way, you know, that, that's where I have an issue with it. When I say issue with it, it means that it hurts my feelings. I'm not going to do nothing to you. I'm not, going to be, I'm not the bully you expect me to be. And then also, I think that, that subreddit has crossed the point. Not all of them. Some of them are actually just funny, and they're fans, and they just show it in a different way, and I understand that at my age. But, you know, a lot of them have crossed that boundary where, you know, they hide behind this keyboard and they want to do evil things, which I just, I don't understand. But it's, to me, it's like, and for what? For what? Because I do stand-up? You don't have to buy a ticket because I do free podcasts? That triggers you? Right. We well, don't have to watch. You know, so I just, I'm just cut from a different cloth. I, I'm just a positive <laughs> person. Now, there's some podcasters that will lean into it and... If there's beef between comics, the the lean into that, and they like that that controversy and that drama all the time, like it's Real Housewives of L.A. And I would probably be much more famous and much further along my career if I entertained that. I just can't do it. Sometimes I think, man, I should try that. It's just not what I do. I don't like being negative. I'm a positive person. I enjoy helping people out. So you know, it's just heavy lies the crown with that stuff man you were you were saying how when you moved that was to a LA, long rant i apologize <laughs> no it's good you know you yeah a lot to unpack on that one a lot to unpack on that one. Oh my god man jesus christ <laughs> okay first of all first of all first of all he's calling everybody on that subreddit evil so in kind of um by default he would probably be calling me evil also. I take umbrage to that because he initially says people are evil because they're including his family. And I take umbrage to that because I think there are some people on the subreddit who do post pictures of his kids, who do post pictures of his wife on the sub. But for the most part, the majority of that content is on there because, again, he's a public figure. So he posts this stuff 
being a public figure on his social media account. His wife is also a quote unquote public figure. She has a re- re- a verified account on there. She has, you know, she has these flipping. It looks like an account that is a Stan account that kind of follows her around and retweets stuff and likes stuff and comments. So clearly, and videos and stuff about her have been interviewed and stuff. Clearly, she's got a persona about her as well. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Brendan Shaw's wife used to be a journalist or doing some things for the UFC in Latin America or whatever it may be. So they're two public profiles. Um, they're two public personas, sorry. They've got a very public, um, you know, facing social media presence. They post their kids all over their social media. So it's no surprise that some of the quote-unquote fans on the subreddit would post some of those pictures on the sub like any other subreddit does. Yeah, if he's comparing himself to Drake and LeBron James and Logan Paul and all this stuff, whatever those guys post on their social media most likely will end up on the subreddit as well. That's what you'd imagine. But I think the majority of the content on those subs is basically all about the dumb things Brendan says day to day. And if he would stop saying dumb shit, if he would have an ability to maybe you know, maybe not lean into the meme, maybe not lean into the jokes, but at least laugh at himself a few times, at least be somewhat um, um, able to acknowledge some of his shortcomings, some of the things that maybe might make him look redacted to some people's eyes. He would amazingly overnight probably, you know, drive that place to extinction if he did so. But because he's maybe just not that guy and clearly there's something i'm not sure if it's even broken or just the way he's kind of wired that place is always going to exist because he's always going to be able to provide them with amazing content like this that people can dissect and laugh at you know every single day because this was incredibly unhinged and really really insane because if we're being completely honest you could also go as far as saying no one will post your wife on that subreddit if you stop cheating on her allegedly the main reason why that all happened was because of that because he purported or tried to put out a certain image about how he acted at home and how he was with certain things and then there was bits of evidence popping up online on social media one of them being the cop the video that unique essentially got his channel taken down for the video where he's on live stream doing that show during the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, or as he would say it with Mike Tyson and a few other dudes, I forgot the names, I think Daniel Corman, this other football guy. And then in the intermission, in the break, the, the, the live stream camera is basically pointed on the outside of this mansion where they're recording the show. And somehow somebody's able to spot Brendan in the flipping live stream, walking over to a girl that doesn't look like his wife and handing her a flipping note. And then she's doing some sort of pose or something like, yeah, I got that man or so, whatever it may be. That's what uncovered and unraveled this whole story and this whole episode of this whole cheating arc, which is probably why some of those guys on there are going out of their way, posting pictures of the wife on there, because it was another narrative, it was another saga, another arc in the story. So he could immediately stop that shit if he just would stay at home. If you'd maybe chill out on going on the road, relax with the addies and baddies and nonsense and just stay at home, maybe no one would post his wife anymore because of that. But because he opened that door, and I think there was another um, period in time as well where somebody leaked messages that he was sending to some baddies on that subreddit 
that's why that narrative of kind of posting his wife on there has been kind of constant. And I'm sure some people on there also don't like her as a person because of what she kind of looks like on the outside. Maybe she might be a bit materialistic, a bit more, a bit of an airhead or whatnot in her own regard. People go out of their way to post that as well and keep that kind of narrative going. But it comes back down to the main basis of what I'm saying here. He could, he could really contribute to halting the amount of posts that people post on there about his family if he stopped doing fucked up shit stopped cheating and stopped saying stupid things on podcasts and immediately that half of that subreddit's content or maybe more than half is already gone but he doesn't he doubles down he does all this nonsense he plays games he tries to be a victim then he tries to be a bully even in his clip he says something about oh he's not the bully he's the nice guy he may look at the bully that bullied in school but he's actually the nice guy but if you want to meet up and discuss stuff in person he's willing to do so so what are you are you the victim or you're the aggressor are you the victim or you're the perp pick one he wants to be both he wants to be oh this is not nice hurt my feelings but also if you if i see you in real life i'm gonna break your face it's like you have to decide which one you want and then if you want to break the person's face you have to kind of ask yourself what's actually making you that angry to go to that point the fact that some people are pointing out that you interrupt people that you lie allegedly that you may kind of embellish your stories that you that you maybe come across like a bully at sometimes to some people and let's go back to the other point also he said oh why don't you like me because i just do free podcasts i really don't understand this inability that he seems to have and maybe a few other stand-up comedians seem to have where these guys put out a lot of content right and sometimes when you put out a lot of content you may you may slip up and say stuff you probably didn't mean to say and sometimes you may just be more honest and forthright with kind of presenting yourself a certain way online because you're online and you feel kind of safe but usually you'd imagine a lot of your fans because they consume a lot of your content over time they kind of get to understand who you are as a person. And sometimes, through no fault of your own, a fan could just watch your content and think, you know what, I don't like you. I'm cool on you. For whatever reason. And in my opinion, I think they're completely justified to say so. You may have not done anything wrong, but in their point of view, from their eyes, from what they've seen, they don't like you for whatever reason. And I think with Brendan, he's given people plenty of ammunition to say why they don't like him from the cheating thing from trying to hook up with um Kalila behind Bobby Lee's back who allegedly was a friend at the time from the constant interruptions of guests on the show from the lying about anything minute from flipping achievements to diets to money to all that malarkey from the backing up of Brian Callan and Chris D'Elia like from the how he treated his other co-host all of those reasons i've kind of listed are legit reasons why people wouldn't like the guy but for some reason he can't understand that he thinks it's only because he does podcasts and says controversial things he doesn't say anything controversial though he's probably the most fence-sitting comedian out there there is no he doesn't really have a hard stance on anything he tries to flirt with the whole conservative grift thing, but he probably doesn't have the IQ level to really formulate a real position of what he kind of stands on in that regard. So it doesn't really make any sense. So it's a really bizarre way to kind of spin it and make it look the way it is. And even if we go back to the evil thing, just to kind of go back to one point, it's a smart move by him as well, if you think about it slightly, because there was a period in time 
when Brendan got annoyed that Unique posted that clip of him handing a note to that girl during that Super Bowl um, flipping um, show, um, game, there was a rumor going around at the time that he was trying to get the subreddit taken down. And the reason why he was trying to get the subreddit taken down, again, sneaky, sneaky, was I think at the same time that that was happening, Unique was having some issue at home. Again, allegedly, I don't know what was going on, but I remember reading about this, where it had to do something to do about a kid, something about do abuse, something to do about a wife, I don't know, whatever. Something around that kind of space. And Brendan tried to use what Unique was going through himself personally to ascribe that to what was going on in the subreddit and basically say the sub was a home for people that abused children or did crazy shit or whatever it may be so that that, that sub could get taken down. So he just to use that spin to get a sub taken down. And I think now, have have him having said what he said about the sub being evil, I think those guys over there at that subreddit have to be careful with the post that they put up of um, Brendan Schulp's wife on there because it looks like he's trying to use that as a new narrative to kind of get the sub taken down. It, it feels like that because why would he mention it? Why would he say it's evil? Why would he mention his kids and his wife as the first defense mechanism? He used them as human shields and he didn't want to address or acknowledge any other reason why somebody wouldn't like him. No, first of all, it's the wife and the kids. So I've got a feeling he's maybe um, having that in the back of his mind as an easy way to kind of get that sub taken down if it has to do anything to do with kids, anything to do with kind of going after a quote-unquote private citizen which if she isn't because she's got a verified account and she kind of, you know, essentially, um, for lack of a better term, puts herself out there. I think something's happening in that regard. But what an incredible, um, weird way to really um, avoid taking any accountability for your own actions and to put all the blame on fans when really all the fans that are doing, that on that subreddit, they're doing for the most part is that they're reacting to the things that he says on shows. That's it. They're not creating narratives. They're not making narratives up. They're just reacting to whatever this guy says on shows. And he just can't handle it. He can't handle the fact that fans are able to pick apart his bullshit, highlight it, point and laugh, and kind of turn it into a thing. He really cannot handle it. It's so bizarre. I really do not understand it. I don't get it in the slightest bit whatsoever. It's really, really strange, man. Really, 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 really strange. But again, no surprise, which is probably why now I'm thinking of it now. I'm thinking to myself, maybe this whole Skanks Fest thing that he's going to might be a bad idea because I thought to myself, this actually might be a good idea for him because it would be a good way to kind of change the narrative on himself or narrative, as he would say, online. But judging by how he's going on now, he hasn't really changed much. So I'd assume that once he goes out to Skankfest, he'll probably be the same guy that he is now. Still painting himself out to be a victim, not acknowledging why people don't like him. And it may end up hurting him in the long run. So maybe the Skankfest appearance won't be a redemption opportunity as much as I'm thinking or hoping it will be for him. It will actually end up being far worse because he'll be kind of, you know... um, he'll be kind of put in a position where he can't hide behind his defense and cope mechanisms and there'll be people out there that are going to be basically calling him out for his bullshit 24-7 or in some roundabout way. I'm not really too sure, but 
I'm not, you know, it's not looking good for the guy if he's going to go out to Skankfest and this is the way he's going to act. Personally, it thinks a bit strange, but what can you do, man? He thinks the whole the homeless cats are evil. He's spinning it in that way. Um, it's probably a smart way if you do want to get that place taken down. But yeah, let's see. But um, and I've seen some people say before about the family thing, right? Online, oh, the, the family thing is going overboard. That's stepping over the line. That's stepping over the line. I don't know, man. I'm in two minds. Personally. Do I like seeing pictures of his wife on the subreddit? No. Or his kids sometimes? No. Even though most people, when they do post pictures of their, they blur the, the faces and stuff. I don't like it in the slides. I, I think that's not cool. But let's be fair to those posters over there too. The wife has a verified Instagram profile. She's not afraid of a camera. She posts all the time on her profile. She posts pictures of her kids with their faces on their profile also. She has hundreds and thousands of followers, if I'm not mistaken. <coughs> Brendan has a very public, sorry, um, Instagram account. He's also verified. He has over 1 million followers on his Instagram account. And he posts pictures of his kids with their faces not blurred out. So can you really blame a very small section of the internet for taking the pictures that these guys willingly put up online of themselves and then reposting them on a subreddit discussing what they do? It doesn't really make any sense personally for me, especially when you think about the Valentine's Day picture um, Brennan's wife took. What was that all about? In any circumstance, in any other walk of life, that would be pretty weird. That would be something that you may be talking about with your friends at work. Like if one of your friend's wife decided to post a very racy picture of themselves in some lingerie as a weird Valentine's type of picture, you and your friends around the water cooler will be talking about it. You may actually bring it up on your phone. You may actually take a screenshot of it. You may actually send it to the group chat. There's no difference to that, especially if that person has a public profile. It makes no sense. So I think people kind of clutching their pearls, clutching their handbags about the wife and kids being posted on a subreddit. I understand it is a little bit uneasy, uncomfortable to see, maybe a little bit, you know... Um, a little bit lame i get it but really and truly if the parents of these kids are willing to put their child or their children sorry on the interwebs online in that kind of forward-facing manner they can't really be the same people to also then complain when people use those pictures and kind of misuse them i mean that it can't really be blamed if anything if you want to protect your kids privacy don't post them online like many parents do but they don't do that for whatever reason and again i'm not telling him how to parent but you also then can't you know um tell the people on the sub how they should post when most of the stuff that they're getting is from these guys they are the ones generating the content no one's making this we're not putting words in their mouth we're not telling them how to move or how to act and they for some reason do what they want to do that way and it kind of works out the way that they kind of want to work it but again my point goes back to it if Brendan Schaub would allegedly stop cheating, would allegedly stop, you know, saying dumb shit, most of the time, I think that sub would cease to exist. And most people would stop posting pings of his wife on there online. But how can that be helped if this guy constantly gets himself in drama, 
constantly gets himself involved in cheating scandals and the kind of the the, the flipping the, the era or the arc or the storyline just keeps on progressing just recently we had this nonsense thing about the buying the mother-in-law a house and filming it for content online off the back of what happened with bgl going on mma holes and talking about the addies and baddies I'm sure Brendan already had the plan of buying his mother-in-law a house a long time ago. I'm sure they didn't do that all last minute in 24 hours, I'm sure. But the timing was ridiculous. Especially the the flipping video about it, the leaning into it, all that stuff. Like, what is all that stuff? Who's, who's he responding to by making those kind of videos? I don't really know. But anyway, that was an interesting side of things. He sees it differently. He thinks everybody there is evil. I guess we'll have to disagree to disagree, or as he would say, I guess we'd have to beg the differ. Moving on from that one, let's talk about this clip. This one's an interesting one also. This features Brendan Schaub talking about Joe Rogan and the alleged LA comedy rat pack or something along those kind of lines. I find this really, 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 really funny. Let's play this clip here. <laughs> the Rat Pack. Absolutely hilarious. Let's see what to say here. Uh, bear with me as I get it up on screen. There you go. Yeah, Brendan said he, he misses Joe Rogan and the Rat Pack. Team Captain, all this starts from Joe Rogan. So before I hit the comment... But he doesn't give a shit about any of that, does he? He just does whatever the fuck he wants, and it, sometimes it he, works. He does whatever he wants, and he's the leader of the pack, but he's also the reason why we embrace each other. And, you know, five, six years ago, seven years ago at the comedy store, it was the comedy Rat Pack. And we were the, we were the Rat Pack, and we were the guys, and every show was sold out, our names on the marquee. And Rogan, there was a, there was kind of a, you know, there's structure. Like we don't tear each other down. We support each other. Um, and I heard Isaiah Thomas say this when he went on uh, my uh, boys podcast, uh, All the Smoke with Matt Barnes. Um, and uh, Isaiah Thomas said this and it really resonated with me. He was on there. He's talking about Michael Jordan. And he goes, Clearly, I'm not a black man. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm not black. But it's Isaiah, actually not that clear, by the way. You <laughs> could be. <laughs> you could no be. No one knows you, what I am, dude. No one yeah, knows. What I, if yeah, you told me you had a little India, it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, it's not that clear, answer. actually. Yeah, you, my, Earlier, oh, when you said uh, Denver or Buffalo Bills didn't want slow white guys, I was like, yeah, so you're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you made the team, right? Yeah. Wait, you're telling me you're not Aaron Hernandez? No, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, where was I? Oh. So we're this company Rat Pack. No, no, you're saying that, Isaiah that, Thomas said something. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, so Isaiah Thomas said this, and I saw a clip that Matt Barnes posted, and I love those guys. I started with them at Showtime, and they're crushing it. But Isaiah Thomas, they brought up Michael Jordan, and Isaiah Thomas has issues with Michael Jordan. And uh, Matt Barnes goes, we'd love to have him on. And uh, Isaiah's like, that's a tough one. He doesn't do interviews. Then Isaiah said, as an alumni from the NBA, as, as alumni, and you guys are alumni, we're this tight fraternity. And not only are we a tight fraternity that we've reached certain levels of the NBA in this, in, you know, in this lane that we're in, but we're also black men. And it is our duty to support each other. It is our duty to come on the shows and make sure you guys get views, make sure people get your name out there. That, that is something that as we, it's our responsibility being in this small group, in this small club. And back probably seven years ago, you know, Rogan, it was the same thing. It is your, it is your duty to come on other shows, to broaden the audience, 
to bring everybody into these great talents. You know, whether it's, you know, back in the day, find the kid outside Joe Rogan, find the kid was the launching pad. If you go through it, you look at Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, Santino, Theo Vaughn, Chris DeLitt. You look at all the people that came on there and just exploded. Now, is it because it, the Fighting Kid audience maybe helped a little? It's because those guys are so goddamn talented. And once people saw who they were, they out-succeeded Fighting the Kid. They've gone on, they've blown the roof off things now. But if you look back on Fighting the Kid, and I take so much pride and joy in that, where we had these guys on before they were massive. And as Isaiah Thomas says, it is our duty to do that. So that resonated with me. Now, this is seven, eight years ago, uh, even 10 years ago when Fire Kids first started out, we'd have all these comments on stuff like that. And then the pandemic hits. The, the pandemic hits and the leader of the Rat Pack leaves, Joe Rogan leaves, and the comedy store shuts down, comedy in LA shuts down, then Tom Segura leaves, then Joey Diaz leaves, then Tim Dillon leaves, then Theo Vaughn leaves, and then uh, Brian goes through some bullshit Me Too movement and he has to leave. And Chris D'Elia goes some, through some bullshit Me Too movement. Chris D'Elia has to leave. And I'm on this island by myself. I'm like, whoa, where's everybody? I thought, let's, all right. The troops, although we're not in LA, we got to rally. Let's rally around each other. And it broke my heart, man. It broke my, that, no, those days are over, dude. You got to figure it out on your own. Those days are over. The days of you know, being in the in, in the hallways at the comedy store and the improv and the ice house and the laugh factory where, you know, hey, podcast tomorrow. Yeah, podcast tomorrow. Those days are gone. Everyone's they made it. Everyone's in their lane. You got to figure it out on your own now. It's weird because, you know, I was at the comedy store last night and I always have this. Uh, it takes me a while. I sit in the parking lot for a while because it just kind of reminds me when I pull up now that. I used to pull up and Rogan would pull up in his Porsche and we'd park next to each other and we'd talk shop about the cars and what's next. And then Santino would pull up and we'd talk to him and Chris D'Elia and then Brian would pull up and Bobby Lee and Theo and we'd be in there. And there it's was like the college. Fun. It was the best. It was, it was the absolute best. And I wish five, six, seven years ago, somebody would have tapped us on the show and like, hey, fellas, in two years, this is all gone. You, I didn't realize at the moment that that was the golden age and what we were doing was so special. We took it for granted. And I, I didn't realize at the time how special it was in, in my, in my theater where my fish tank are and it, like my man cave, I have, I have four pictures from those days. I just put them up right. You know, when they were done five, six, seven years ago, I didn't realize that in that picture, in that frozen moment, that was the best time ever. For, for me, as far as uh, just being in that symbiotic, like, team, with such a team, man, yeah. there's a special moment. You know, now we're all, everyone's doing well. We still talk, we have our group chats, but as far as, like, you know, seeing each other all the time, like, those days are over, man, and it's heartbreaking. Wow. Wow. So, what an incredible clip. What an incredible clip, and so much, so much to flip and break down and to analyze but the first thing to really break down and analyze is the fact that Brendan Shaw equates being a struggling comedian to the plight of a black man <laughs> the struggles of a black person living in North America are akin to how it is to struggle as a stand-up comedian as a white dude 
right? Or, or, or as I say on flipping Twitter, as a white passing male, absolutely incredible levels of hubris. But that comment aside, because I'm sure he meant something else, I'm just kind of being, you know, I'm just trying to be funny for the sake of it. This is hilarious because essentially what he's basically saying is that he misses having his hand held. He misses being able to kind of have opportunities given to him, which he probably didn't deserve based on his talent, but mostly based on his friendships. Because that's essentially what he's speaking about. When things were good, when he was still on Joe Rogan's good side, he was afforded way more luxuries, way more opportunities than his skill level or even his personality would really allow him to get. Because of Joe Rogan, because of Brian Callen, he was allowed in certain spaces, in certain clubs that would have probably never allowed him in there if he just came up himself, especially when you consider his lack of talent on the stage and, you know, how horrible his personality is. So essentially him coming on this and basically crying tears that he misses Joe Rogan, he's essentially saying that he didn't appreciate at the time how good he actually had it. He added immensely good that he could, you know, without being passed at a comedy store, he could turn up, he could do shows, he could sit in the parking lot, park side to side in his Porsche next to Brent, Joe Rogan's Porsche, which, again, the imagine the imagery of it. Joe Rogan's been busting his ass doing what he's doing, successful pod aside, but Joe Rogan's been busting his ass in comedy, 20 plus year doing stand-up. He's sitting in the parking lot in a Porsche, Brendan Schaub is like four or five years into stand-up, very crap at it, and got a successful podcast, and he's also sitting, you know, in these Porsche, you know, side-by-side with Rogan. If ever there was a mental image that represented everything else wrong with his come-up and how he basically ascended to where he is, that was it. And he couldn't see it. The fact that he was sat in the comedy store without being passed next to a legit comic in the Porsche while they sat in the Porsche is all the reason why things went the way they went for him career-wise. He should have really taken the option of going down the open mic route, maybe stepping out of the Porsche, purposely buying a car that's a little bit you know, lower grade than that, and actually hanging out with people more on his level. That may have actually you know, helped to maybe humble. Humble him is not a good word to use because humbling sounds a little bit um, like you're telling somebody not to kind of flourish but it would have kind of contributed to maybe him understanding where his level was at because I don't think Brendan ever really is, is you know understood his level or his placing I think because he was hanging around with those guys the Andrew Santinos the Crystalias, the Joe Rogans and Brian Callens just because he was hanging with them I think he always naturally felt like they were on the same level together just because they happened to be friends and he took that for granted, of course. And in the end, it all ended up being kind of taken away from him when people ended up moving and doing different things in the future. But I think that clip is absolutely hilarious because, again, this is an interview with Brendan on the show talking about business. And if ever there was a counter that you need or one of those kind of bet or maybe a betting agency where you could bet on these future interviews, one thing you'd always bet, any interview that Brendan Schaub does, he will always find a way to mention Joe Rogan. Always. The funny thing about it is that he's also the first person to really push back and deny that Joe Rogan is legitimately one of the main reasons why he can afford or he can, you know, enjoy the lifestyle that he enjoys. He won't want to admit that, though. That's the funny thing about that. We all know it, looking from the outside in. The guy's terrible at stand-up. His podcasts aren't that great. 
So if he didn't have the opportunity to be friends with Rogan and have access to all those people and get that cosign and be one of the most, you know, um, and, and have most, some of the most appear, have the record for the most appearances on the GRE by a solo guest, he wouldn't be where he is. You'd think so, would you? Really? Would you think that? I don't think so. So big up him regardless. I think that was absolutely hilarious as a clip to play. He clearly still doesn't get it, but he clearly still misses the Rat Pack and he says that he took it for granted, which he obviously did at the time. That's something that cannot be denied. Moving on from that one, and quickly take a little quick little break from all of this clips I have loaded up. I want to quickly play a clip courtesy of my guy, Two Ladies to Try. He posted up a video, which I want to play, which is really interesting because it kind of speaks on some of the... Um, things that I've been throwing out there in terms of theories. So this is a video Two Ladies to Try just uploaded. It's titled, Is Joe Rogan Scared to Let Brendan Shaw Perform at His Comedy Club? Actually, it says, Is Joe Rogan too scared to let... Yeah, is Joe Rogan scared to... Yeah, no, no, no. You, you heard what I said. Um, so this is the video courtesy of Two Ladies to Try. Let's see what he has to say and what he's concluded in this ongoing saga or when will Brendan ever play at Joe Rogan's Comedy Club? Let's see opened up his new comedy club in Austin and there's still no sign of Brendan Schaub performing there anytime soon, which I think is pretty ridiculous that it's taking this long. I mean, how could he even call this place a comedy club if Brendan Schaub hasn't performed there yet? You know, me personally, I don't even know what comedy was until I heard Brendan Schaub's <laughs> Mexican cookie bit. Right, I'll bake some Mexican cookies and you go over there, I'm like, it's a Mexican cookie, what are you talking about? It's like a chocolate chip with sauce all over it? What are you talking about? What are you so the fans of comedy, they're all wondering, where is Brennan Schaub? Why hasn't he performed here yet? You know, this is Joe Rogan's guy. Joe got him into comedy. You'd think he'd have him perform within the first couple of months. But instead, Joe has decided to go with Whitney Cummings and Pete Davidson and Burt Kreischer, of course. I mean, look at this Instagram post from Joe's Comedy Club. It says, last night was one for the ages. Burt rocked the house. One for the ages. Some middle-aged dude gets drunk, goes on stage, and takes his shirt off, and it's one for the ages. I mean, what are we doing here? I'm already losing faith in this place. And Joe's, like, teasing Brendan at this point because he's having pretty much everybody else on except for him. You know, Brian Callen's heading over there this weekend. Eric Griffin's doing a show this month. But Brendan, the poor guy, has uh -huh. still not gotten the call. Exactly. And you could tell he wants to go there badly. You know, he's always talking about how he misses the whole comedy scene. I, I'm looking. I was directions. talking to Rogan this morning. I go, I cannot listen to another podcast of you and anyone you've had at the club, the mothership, and how fun it is. I know. I go, it makes me want to jump off a bridge. Yeah. It reminds me of the comedy store days, like the yeah. golden yeah. years yeah. of comedy store. I'm like, ah, yeah. feel like you're missing out. They're really doing something over there. You know, I mean, I, I haven't been. The place looks amazing with the drone shots and sick. all this stuff, but and the pictures that they post. I, I try not to see any of it. It makes me sad. Uh -huh. yeah. And then the comedy mothership. I'm going to be at the mothership in Austin. Oh, cool. 28th to the 30th. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What room? Like, they have, like, different rooms, right? I have no idea. <laughs> they have, like, oh, a cool. main room and a that's smaller room. That's pretty cool, man. Like the store. No, I know, but I... But they don't they have... So, they have two. Two rooms. Okay. Yeah. He's in the main room. Got yeah. it. That's awesome. I'll see Mr. Rogan there. <laughs> He's going to take me on a little tour of the mothership. Oh. You're not performing, though? Maybe I Maybe will. Maybe you jump on. I don't know. You, but you're not doing stand-up. You're doing a no, TED Talk thing? I'm doing the Minds Fest. 
So it sounds like Joe might be saving the best for last. <laughs> no, I think this might be what's going on here. This person on the fight and the kids, sorry about it. They said there are people who buy tickets months in advance, not knowing who they're going to see. They just put their complete faith in Joe that whoever's on that night is going to be hand-selected and approved by Joe. What would he say to those unfortunate souls unlucky enough to draw Shab as their act in their once-in-a-lifetime comedic dream vacation to Austin? So there's probably some truth to that. I mean, it definitely seems like Brendan wants to perform there. I don't know, maybe his schedule just hasn't lined up yet, but I feel like Joe's probably trying to keep him away as long as possible. I mean, everyone else around him has performed there already, or is scheduled to perform there at least. You know, obviously, Chris D'Elia, that's an exception. I don't know if we're going to see him there at all. But if he performs there before Brendan, then that's going to be pretty bad. And I also saw... So, you got the gist of what he's about to say there. Personally, I've as I've always said, my kind of inkling with this because the thing about this whole thing is that I don't think Brendan has kind of accounted for just how much damage that whole bald guy slanging dick comment made. The, 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 no, the amount of damage that caused um, between him and Joe Rogan. I'm sure he's aware behind the scenes, but maybe he hasn't very, maybe he hasn't really kind of um, sat down with it to kind of really kind of soak it in as to how much that's affected how they were as friends because i felt like there was a time even though rogan's known canon longer it felt like there was a time some years ago where joe was way closer to brendan even though he's known canon longer and he's you know closer to age than in flipping with canon and life experiences and whatnot it felt legitimately like that he you know was getting really really close to brendan so at the height of their flipping friendship brendan then goes and decides to inadvertently spill the beans on what Rogan may or may not get up to behind closed doors and I remember saying to somebody else that you also have to imagine or so you have to have to remember before Brendan said what he said with that slip of the tongue he's very very heavy tongue before he said what he said no one and again I'm I'm balls deep in the GRE subreddit I'm balls deep in GRE in general I'd, I had never heard of anybody say anything disparaging about joe in that kind of um way if anything i heard some people maybe say joe maybe flirts a bit when female guests come on his show he may have a thing for that honey honey singer and stuff but you never heard anything about joe in general you know slanging dick as brendan would say so brendan said something that many people had never ever said even as a joke, even in passing, his closest friends had kept that shit close to their chest, never told a single soul. And there he goes, blabbering it onto this, on the flipping King of the Sting. It's probably not true. It probably is no, no truth to it. Could you imagine Joe Rogan's super famous and by now, if there was some truth to it, somebody would already come out for a quick payday or for some clout. So it probably isn't true and it probably even hurt more if it's not true because it causes unnecessary struggle and stress in your household. But even if it was true, keep your mouth fucking shut it's joe bloody rogan he's trusting you with this secret keep your mouth closed he doesn't he blabbers it and it i think ended up causing um irreversible damage to his relationship with joe rogan then of course as time would progress the whole pandemic thing happened la shut down rogan then decides i'm gonna move to austin and then you know rogan being the way he is I think there's a part of him that was like, Austin's a new experience. It's a new place. I'm going to make some changes. And because he was away from people by nature of moving, he decided to make the changes. And now you're seeing Rogan 
hanging out with people that he actually wants to hang out with. I think even though Rogan's quite, um, what's it called? He's quite upfront and honest with people, I think, and probably straightforward and says how he feels at all times and probably doesn't suffer fools gladly. I think there was also a part of him that kind of had to indulge a lot of that LA comedy scene because he was just there. He had to indulge a lot of that Hollywood scene, a lot of that nonsense. And the fact that he moved away, it gave him an easy excuse to not talk to these guys ever again. So it's no coincidence that we're not seeing Brendan around anymore because he was one of the people that he said, you know what, if I don't need to hang out with you, if we don't need to be as close as we were before, I'm not going to do so. And he's gave him a few, you know, um, complimentary, you know, niceties in terms of inviting him back on the show here and there. But the relationship is never where it was, in my opinion. It's never recovered. It's never going to be back there. And then ever since then, he opened the Comedy Mothership Club. I think now Brendan started to realize where he actually is with Rogan. And I'm sure it felt like in the last few weeks, there was a shift in, Rog in, in Brendan in terms of how he speaks about Rogan, in terms of the things that he says in general, in passing about the guy. And ever since the Bobby Lee shit and other things happened and BGO talking about Rogan getting on the phone and screaming at him about bullying Bobby Lee and using his name, something definitely, I feel like something happened behind the scenes for sure between them where maybe Rogan told him in some way, shape or form what he, how he feels about him or the things he doesn't like about him that he was doing recently in terms of the drama, blah, 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 blah. But my last point to make before I show this screen was that I also had the feeling that most likely Rogan had told Brenda, or Brenda, sorry, had asked Rogan most likely sometime recently, maybe in the last few months, hey, can I play at the Comedy Mothership? And Rogan told him in knowing unequivocal terms that no, you cannot, you're not funny enough. That was my initial kind of gut feeling because I just, you know, I've listened to Brendan speak enough times and the way he was talking about Rogan just gave me the impression, hmm, this guy has spoken to him. I think he said something to him. And now look, look at this comment someone posted on the Reddit. Now, again, this could be complete bullshit, but this does make a lot of sense to me with this relation to the comedy mothership. Somebody posted this in relation to the Two Ladies to Try clip. It says here, it's well known by door guys and employees of the mothership that Joe told Brendan he has no control of the scheduling and he has to talk to Adam Eager to get booked at the club. Roundabout way to say right now you can't perform here and we don't want you. Joe is sick of Brendan and people at the club use Brendan as a running joke behind the scenes. All this info I got firsthand from a door guy at the mothership. Dicey, dicey. But that makes a lot of sense to me, especially if it's a new club, especially with, you know, them not being the way they are in general. Honestly, I legitimately, I legitimately, legitimately think this is what happened. This is definitely what happened. 100%. He definitely must have asked Joe, hey, can I perform here? Joe said, nah. And because he set up the club in a way where Adam Eager the former booker at comedy at the comedy store is now working over there and he's a big wig. He's somebody respected in the industry because he's kind of hired him there. It's an easy excuse to kind of be like, no, Adam does the booking. When we all know most likely Adam and Joe do the booking together, but there's no chance that anybody gets booked at the club without Joe's approval. So technically he still does the booking, but it's a good, but Joe was really smart to get Adam Eager involved because he legitimately is an established, respected person in his own regard and what he's did at the comedy store and how he basically helped to revive that place when it was going through what it was going through. 
that people would respect it enough and kind of believe the the sort of uh, curve if Rogan did say, no, you have to speak to Adam Eager. And also you'd imagine since the club's been open, Joe Rogan's phone's probably been blowing up with loads of people saying, hey, can I play? 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 So he probably has to kind of put some measures in place that would allow him the opportunity to kind of say no to certain people. And it makes all the sense in the world. It really, really does. So big up, um, big up Adam Eager, honestly. Really, 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 really did smash it. And I can't imagine how red hot his phone is. Big up Adam Eager, regardless. I can't imagine how red hot his phone is. And this, I think, is going to be a very interesting arc in the Brendan Shulp story. Now, if I was being, if I was being, um, if I was being a friend, and if I was kind of looking for his, looking out for his best interest in Brendan, or if I was a fan of his, I would say he needs to spend more time focusing on stand-up and getting good at telling jokes on stage and being fucking funny. Then he does have to worry about being booked at Joe Rogan's comedy club. As great as Joe Rogan is, as inspiring as it is to see him open that club and it looks fucking fantastic and coming to visit it, he's not the be one end all. They're basically turning the mothership into another comedy store. Into, oh, if you're not playing here, you, you're you nobody. If you can't play here, you haven't done anything. And this Brendan guy, despite being untalented, I feel like, and despite being very average at what he does, has achieved quite a bit in life. He should be proud of how much he's done so far, despite being technically horrible at what he does. And if he just focused on actual stand-up, he could actually maybe get a lot further in his career. But because he's worried about the image worried about where he stands you know who he's associated with where he plays more so than actually the quality of his actual art and his craft this is why he's in this situation that he's in now and now after all of that sucking off of rogan after all of that flipping being a part of the flipping rat pack now look when it comes down to talent when people have to book you based on are you good yay or nay the first thing they do is say no even though you're their friend, even though you've had a close relationship with them, that doesn't matter at all in the slightest. Are you good? Yes or no? And they've decided he's not good. But the fear, but the honest, the truth is, he was never good. But they didn't tell him at the start because he was friends with them. And now when they're not friends anymore, and that friendship has died, and all you need, all you have left is a talent, if it's not there, no one's going to stand by you and co-sign you. So I think it's actually a good thing if he uses it to actually focus on stand-up comedy, but it's not because you just focus on trying to get books on there and it'll end up being one of those things that kind of eats him away little by little on the inside. But yeah, big up to ladies to try in general for posting that. You're an absolute G. You're an absolute G. What else do I talk about here? Ba, 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 ba. I did that, I did that, I did that. Oh, it's always, it's always, it's always. It's always. What are you guys saying in the chat? Digging deep tonight. Yes, we are. Big up me. Digging deep, deep, deeper. Big up everybody in the stream chat. Banging in there. Smash that like button for me if you're enjoying what you see. I would appreciate that highly. Please make sure you do that. Next on list here. Let's talk about this quickly. Um, oh, this is a quickly one. This is a good one. Um, Brendan talking about the the downloads of the Fire and the Kids sub um, podcast going down considerably, right? This is like by ninety percent, basically, according to his loose figures he's throwing out here. Pretty crazy that he would admit this, but 
maybe it's cons- maybe it's kind of as good to admit this sort of things in the business podcast because maybe you could get some really cool flipping advice that could maybe help you in the long term. So let's play this clip. What are you what, what's the size of your biggest show? I think is Fire and the Kid. What what size are you guys at now for that? We we do we look at it per episode because otherwise you can get a lot of downloads if you just pump out more and more episodes. Like per Correct. episode is the real real deal for I think for for these shows. Well, see, so Fire and the Kid and the Golden Hour, which is formerly known as King of the Sting with Theo Vaughn. So Fire and the Kid and King of the Sting, even though they're on the Think Boy Network, those haven't changed. They're just under my banner. But those have those those weren't part of Showtime at all. Showtime was uh, Below the Belt, which is now the Shop Show, Food Truck Diaries, um, and some other shows. And then I wasn't doing Fight Campaign with them. That's all new. So, you know, I would say probably cut my audience in half. You know, probably, probably in half. But and what what's the fighter and the kid at? Fighter and the kid. I mean, now now we're going down. Uh, you know, you're going down a. <laughs> a different road because there's factors there that have you know caused that show like you know when you're doing it for 12 years it's like this you know it's like this so you know we've been as high as six hundred thousand an episode as low as a hundred thousand episode so that that and it's you know there's been some outlying factors you know that that caused those issues so it, and then with the changing of King of the Sting with Theo leaving, you're talking about a whole new show. So you start from basically from scratch again because you start with Chris D'Elia and Eric Griffin. It's a completely different show. The dynamics completely. Did you hear that? Again, I'm not sure if these it's accurate because he's just talking, you know, he's talking about having numbers in front of him and maybe he's trying to slightly impress these guys. But he said at one time, at one time, at one time, the show was pulling in 600,000 downloads per episode. And now it only pulls in 100,000 per episode. That's really bad. And I'm assuming the extension code circumstances he's talking about. Oh, yeah, big up Crash 984. Oz looking like a proper roadman in it. Yes. Big ups. You know, you know, roadman. You know how it is. Bang, bang, bang. East London's where I rep and all that malarkey. But also big up my North guys, my South London guys. Fuck West. But yeah, big up East London. <laughs> big up uh, Crash 984. Respect. Thank you for the $4.99 super chat. I appreciate it, friend. Um, but yeah, with the show going down that bad in terms of the amount of downloads, you would think they would be a little bit more self-reflection in terms of like, what have I done wrong to cause this decline? But again, as per usual, instead of looking internally and looking at what he could have done differently, he points outward. So he's talking about outside forces. Most likely he's talking about the cancellation or attempted cancellation of Brian Callen and Crystalia that may have contributed to his show's kind of suffering, especially Brian Callen because he was doing fighting the kid with him and maybe at that time when cast media decided to back away from them and all this malarkey and maybe you know a few other bits went down this is crazy still even with that in mind to go from six hundred thousand to one hundred thousand downloads per episode that's a should be a big big problem a big issue that you should probably be looking at to fix and to kind of um to figure out what went wrong but again, he's not going to figure it out if he's pointing at other people and not looking internally as to why 
that occurred in the first place but those are pretty startling numbers and they do kind of match up to the views that they're getting on youtube again i'm not somebody that's a view whore or kind of looks at all that sort of stuff but from what i remember seeing on people posting on the subreddit the views have been going down considerably there was a time when they were getting like five hundred thousand views on episodes just with brendan and brian talking not even with fear vaughn or crystal on there and now they would be lucky. They would be fortunate to have an episode that crosses over that mark. I think the last person that got that may have been like Liver King or something that got that amount of flipping views. And that was obviously a lot to do with the controversy around them during a time when people kind of find out that he does actually take steroids and whatnot. But I thought that admission was pretty crazy, to be fair. 600,000 episodes downloads per flipping episode. And now you're at 100,000. Oof. That's a flipping hard pill to swallow. But also maybe explains why he decided to bring everything in-house and start launching all these other shows because he had to kind of make up for the lost revenue somehow. And the best way to do it is to kind of cut the costs and not have to pay other people and kind of do it on your own. So that kind of makes a lot of sense if that was the case. Moving on from that, let's talk about this clip also. Um, this one is regarding Brendan Shaw talking about the Brian Callan and Chris Lee allegations. I thought this was one was pretty hilarious because essentially he's saying that the allegations against Brian and Chris Lee were bullshit and they had no merit to them. Essentially, he's kind of dismissing whatever serious allegations that were pinned against him, which is absolutely crazy. Let me play the clip and I'll speak on the other end as I did with the previous one. Thomas, they brought up Michael Jordan, and Isaiah Thomas has issues with Michael Jordan. And uh, Matt Barnes goes, we'd love to have him on. And uh, Isaiah's like, that's a tough one. He doesn't do interviews. Then Isaiah said, as an alumni from the NBA, as, as alumni, and you guys are alumni, we're this tight fraternity. And not only are we a tight fraternity that we've reached certain levels of the NBA in this, in, you know, in this lane that we're in, but we're also black men. And it is our duty to support each other. It is our duty to come on the shows and make sure you guys get views, make sure people get your name out there. That That is something that as we, it's our responsibility being in this small group, in this small club. And back probably seven years ago, you know, Rogan, it was the same thing. It is your, it is your duty to come on other shows, to broaden the audience, to bring everybody into these great talents. You know, whether it's, you know, back in the day, find the kid, Outside Joe Rogan, Fine Kid was the launching pad. If you go through it, you look at Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, Santino, Theo Vaughn, Chris DeLitt. You look at all the people that came on there and just exploded. Now, is it because it the Fine Kid audience maybe helped a little? It's because those guys are so goddamn talented. And once people saw who they were, they out-succeeded Fine the Kid. They've gone on. They've blown the roof off things now but if you look back on finding the kid and i take so much pride in joining that where we had these guys on before they were massive and as isaiah thomas says it is our duty to do that so that resonated with me now this is seven eight years ago uh even 10 years ago when finding kids first started out we'd have all these comments on stuff like that and then the pandemic hits the the pandemic hits and the leader of the Rat Pack leaves.
Yo, big up Crash 984. Appreciate it, brother. London Mad Cheeky. Thumbs down. <laughs> big up, yeah, Mad Cheeky. Big up, big up, big up, big up Crash 984. Thank you for the $4.99 super chat. West London is Mad Cheeky. Thumbs down for sure. All that trap star stuff, thumbs down. The founder is a top boy, but the brand, thumbs down. Joe Rogan leaves. And the comedy store shuts down. Comedy LA shuts down. Then Tom Segura leaves. And then Joey Diaz leaves. Then Tim Dillon leaves. Then Theo Vaughn leaves. And then uh, Brian goes through some bullshit Me Too movement. And he has to leave. And Chris D'Elia goes some, through some bullshit Me Too movement. And Chris D'Elia has to leave. And I'm on this island by myself. I'm like, whoa, where is everybody? I thought, let's, all right. The troops, although we're not in LA, we got to rally. Let's rally around each other. And it broke my heart, man. It broke my, that, no, those days are over, dude. So, absolutely redacted thing to say, in my opinion. Really, really, really redacted and crazy, especially when you consider the people that he's speaking about. So, essentially, essentially, <laughs> this is nuts because for me, the main thing I need to kind of speak about this that really makes, that kind of gets a, you know, a bee in my flipping bonnet is that for the most part, when those things happened or when those allegations went down regarding Crystalia first and then Brian Callan second, it was maybe disappointing from the outside looking in if you're a fan of these guys to see the lack of rallying or rally, as sometimes Brendan would say, amongst that group of people because they legitimately um, were acting like before that they were actually close friends. They were close to be like brothers, family, right? They were kind of always going on each other's podcast, promoting each other, being happy for each other's success. But in the moment, some serious shit went down within their group and their community. Clearly, they all kind of showed where who they actually are as people and who they actually are as friends between them because they all kind of tucked tail and ran. But to be fair to all of them, what did Brendan Schub expect? Crystalia at the time was being accused of being a paedophile at the time maybe later on it kind of transpired that he may have been sending some messages to underage girls and then waiting for him to be of age and then he was maybe being a bit of a serial cheater maybe that's not flipping illegal if he just likes to fuck a lot I don't know what the allegations are but the beginning stages the first part of the allegations were that he was a serial cheater which kind of crumbled his kind of happy-go-lucky, safe kind of image, and that he was also maybe texting underage girls. What did Brendan expect his comedy friends to do? Sacrifice their careers post-pandemic to flipping protect Crystalia, a guy who kind of was born on third base anyway, when you consider where he's, you know, what his parents do for a living and whatnot a guy who was at the top of his field in comedy. And at the time, he wasn't really hand, you know, putting his hand back and helping other people outside of his crew anyway. So what did those guys owe him? Then you would imagine his own crew. What did they do for Chris Aaliyah when he was going through that? Did they offer to have him on the show? Did, did they get him on the fire and the kid to explain himself about the allegations that was out there? No. And then when it went down, what did they both do? They both used... Crystalia's plight for clicks and views. They both got on camera, cried about it. Brendan was sobbing. I can't talk. I can't talk. Racked up the views. And in the process of doing that, Brian Callan, the spineless individual next to him, 
basically used the opportunity to remind everybody that him and Crystalia weren't friends. So he says all that stuff he says about other people not standing up and rallying around people, but them, Brendan and Brian, didn't even rally around their own friends, especially Crystalia. Say what you want about allegations. You can believe if you want to believe it. Cool. We all think he's a creep. Diddler for sure. But if you're going by what Brendan is saying, he didn't even back up his own friend the way he's thinking other friends should have backed him up or stood around them or rallied around them. He didn't do it. Then moving on to Callan. Callan then goes and throws Chris under the bus, tries to use him as a human shield, and then guess what happens? An allegation comes out about Brian, far worse than flipping, I think, Chris Lee at the time, because these are all, you know, stories that were somewhat corroborated, stories of women who were kind of putting a face to the name, putting a name out or there on the record, who accused them of rape and some other things involved included there. What was his defense about that? A couple of strong worded statements, a couple of weird, you know, um, really kind of losing the plot Instagram videos. And then when he dared to put a post up saying, I'm going to do an emergency broadcast on the Fire the Kid subreddit or the Fire the Kid podcast, guess what happened? That podcast never transpired. We never saw that podcast. Soon after, Brendan deleted his name from the flipping bio of the Fire the Kid, um, you know, flipping podcast, the little about thing. His name was removed. And then a couple of days afterwards, the Fire and the Kid changed into the Fire and the Kids uh, with a Z. And then we had Malik and Chappelle Lacey stepping in and covering for Brian while he took a leave of quote-unquote absence. So he says all that to say that everyone should have rallied around them, but he didn't even rally around Brian Cannon. He went out of his way to not really rally behind him or give him an opportunity to talk and kind of explain himself and maybe sort of give a different alternative point of view on the allegations or whatnot. Nothing. So all of this is all bullshit, to be honest. And if anyone is to blame, if anyone does, does should, should be actually asked questions, why did you do to your friends? Why don't you look at your flipping daddy in terms of Joe Rogan? That legitimately could be the person that you could ask. Again, I don't think it's fair, but if you want to ask somebody who should have rallied, why didn't Joe Rogan rally around Brian Callan? Him and Brian Callan are more uh, actual friends. They've grown up together. They came, they came up in comedy together. They're probably friends, I think, for more than 20 years. And when the, when the Brian, uh, Brian Callan rape allegations went down, Joe Rogan basically pretended like Brian Callan didn't exist. He completely deleted him from his memory, from his phone book. He, for the, there was a period in time where we were all paying attention. I think it was for like a year after the allegations. Brendan, so Joe Rogan didn't even utter Brian Callan's name. He never uttered it out of his lips. And when somebody would say his name, he would awkwardly sit there and move the subject straight away. So he says all this to say other comedians just stood up for him. But Brian Callan's main best friend, who happens to have one of the biggest podcasts in the world, he could have helped him out. Especially when you consider, you know, Joe was flipping Mr. Anti-Flipping Council Culture for a while. Anytime somebody got cancelled in flipping media, or sorry, in the culture, um, he would flipping go out of his way to kind of have them on his podcast to talk about their plight and how they're basically trying to, you know, combat cancel culture and go against the anti, you know, the, the flipping, the woke mob and blah, blah, blah. But suddenly when his best friend gets cancelled, he suddenly doesn't want to have him on his podcast anymore. He's suddenly bad for business. That's what I'm saying. These guys are all full of shit, mate. All of them are full of shit because they don't help each other out. 
but then they expect other people to come help each other, which makes me think why I kind of understand where Ari Shafir is coming from now. I kind of get what he meant when he meant, oh, when Chris Lee was going through what he's going through, none of you guys were there and kind of held him down. Because even if he's a diddler, right, most likely if you're Chris Lee's friend, there's no way you don't know he's a diddler. So if those allegations come out, you publicly disavowing him does nothing because we all know you're his friend. So we all will assume you probably had some inkling that he did that shit anyway. So who are you saying these disavowed comments for? Like, I don't stand with them. This is not something that... Who are you saying that for? Because no one believes you. So if no one believes you, you might as well just stand by him and just be his friend. But they didn't. None of these guys were friends for each other when they were going through really crazy times. And it probably exposed them to everybody out there really and truly everyone kind of saw them for who they actually really are and for the most part they all kind of look after their own self-interest and basically that's about it so got no time for it in the slightest got no time for it in the slightest anyway it's way late than i actually thought it would be now it's flipping nearly 6 a.m already this is this is only a quick one to kind of get all that stuff out of the way because it was already on my mind and i kind of needed to kind of put it out there hopefully you have enjoyed what you've heard so far um and all that malarkey this has been the random show episode number 100 uh, apologies for not making this another six hour flipping marathon but i have to go because it's fast approaching 6 a.m in london it's currently 5 45 a.m so hopefully you won't be too upset that i'm leaving you guys a bit early but yeah number episode number 100 100 baby boy one flipping hundred hopefully you guys have absolutely enjoyed your time here i know i have i'm going to be back again i think tomorrow with another episode of the x and show my main cultural commentary podcast if you want to check that out then definitely come back again tomorrow for that sometime soon but but for now for now for now thank you for tuning in and liking what you've seen so far if you have enjoyed it please make sure you smash that like button down below for me that'd be greatly appreciated big up the entirety of the chat for hanging in there with me also i appreciate every single one of you big up chad Melerick, big up uche big up coiler of course big up emmanuel dos santos uh big up lucid footwear and clothing big up crash 984 big up mma johnny uh big up the clipper big up my guy the clipper of course uh who else is on here many many people big up mkcivoj you are awesome everybody in a stream chat here hanging in there jordan ray that was here earlier as well big up you big up everybody i really do appreciate you all it's been an absolute pleasure and never 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 a chore so please make sure you tune back in again but yeah i'll be back again very soon thank you for tuning into random show episode number 100 it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure and never a chore and i'll see you guys again very very soon take care everybody be safe and peace out